on show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this white go? Whoa, yeah. Celebrity guests from the East Coast to the West. Who knows who he has next? At Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn. He's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here was your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a Dow stock. Movie talk on the boardwalk. Shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. The show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Greg Carrasco. Slackers. The head of Slacker Nation is back in town. That's right. If you're listening to my voice, you must remember this. You're still alive. <laughs> and for those of you, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, especially when I uh, the plane landed on um, on Thursday and the sky was red. Especially above the clouds, you know, it's a lot of smoke around here, Jacob. What's going on? Like Canada is on fire. I said, how bad did Justin Trudeau do while I was away? It's like the it, whole country's on fire. It's all the marijuana, <laughs> all the marijuana that got legalized a few years ago. That's what it was. That's what it was. Eh? Well, you know, I um, I was away for a couple of weeks, and I. Uh, you know, it's a, I, I need to share something with you all. And I know this is a lot of news to uh, to wake you up on a Saturday morning. But uh, you see, for a long time, I um, whether consciously or subconsciously, I subscribed to Bukowski's notion of uh, find what you love and let it kill you. <laughs> I did that for a long time. And, uh, you know, at one point in my life some time ago, I was ready to succeed on that one. Uh, it was when I discovered that maybe I didn't want to let it love kill me. I wanted love to bring me back to life, to make me feel alive. So I decided to not find what I love and let it kill me. I decided to find somebody that loves me and bring me to life. So I stopped looking. I um, And I look back right where I should have looked a long time ago. So I, I got engaged. Jacob, that's some, some, those are some big news. Carrasco yeah. got engaged. Yeah. I never thought I was going to do it again. I, I know. And mm. uh, I know we're all, everyone at the station here is very happy for you. And uh, it's, it's great. It's great news. Yeah. I, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you're standing so close to the wall that you can't see the writing. And uh, I decided to take a little step back and I, um, I realized so many, so many different things over the last year and a couple of months that uh, uh, it was the next natural progression to my life. And uh, um, for for the very first time in my adult life, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of saying, you know, I, I, I'm committed. It's weird. 
<laughs> so it's so weird when you when you find that level of homeostasis, when you find that level of peace with somebody. And you know, I tell you, man, it's um. Somebody said to me once a long time ago that the person that uh, that you should be with is not the one that makes you weak at the knees, is not the one that gives you butterflies, is not the one that drives you crazy, is the one that brings you peace. You know, butterflies fly away. You know, yeah. knees buckle, but peace is something so unbelievably difficult to find. And um, I I I found somebody that. Uh, that is that nursed me back to life. I mean, she's uh, she's been around my life for a long time, and uh, you know, she has put up with me in ways that I couldn't possibly explain to you. I'm not the easiest person to 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 love. You know, I I'm a very very difficult person sometimes, but um, yeah, she um, she's been a soldier, like a goddamn. Pillar, you just stood there waiting for the storm to pass, and um, when everything passed, she was still there. So I figured that is a nomen. Uh, I, I decided to ask the question, and uh, I was fortunate enough to say yes. Uh, you know, she said yes, and uh, I, I feel um, rejuvenated. I feel re-energized and invigorated, and uh, uh, my family is super happy. And, and you know, honestly, I, I try to keep my personal life away from uh, from social media and from the radio show for obvious reasons. And in the past, I had reasons to not share uh, a lot of the things in my personal life because uh, you know I was not always uh, a model citizen, but you know who has been. And uh, um, this time is, uh, you know, is is different. Uh, it's different, and uh, I think that um, uh, I'm fortunate to, you know, to have a person beside me that is, uh, you know, I'm gonna just look forward to and see where it takes us. You know, I um, I'm super happy to share that with the audience, and uh, I couldn't have done it or picked a, a better place um, for the. I had never been to Italy before, and um, Italy was. An experience. Uh, I, I think that everybody at some point in their lives should probably head down there, or at least to that side of the world, and um, allow yourself to be awed by the wonders. And I'm talking on a second by second basis, uh, step by step through those cobblestones of Rome, and and just be wondered by us by humanity by the world and it's, it's fascinating but uh uh we we headed down to rome and uh we, we you know we visited south southern italy uh polignano matera the amalfi coast uh, napoli napoli i want to exclude napoli from my wonders and awe <laughs> napoli was not a nice place <laughs> why is that oh it was not good not good yeah don't go to napoli okay. was the yeah. food there was the food good at least uh you know i in the place that i was where i was staying yes uh there was a little tiny town outside of napoli uh called in english they call it herculaneum uh which is a uh, Believe it or not, the, I wanted to climb Vesuvius, you know, the mount, yeah. the, the, the volcano Vesuvius. I wanted to climb it. So we climbed it. Uh, but there were two, uh, excavation, uh, two, two sites that uh, were very uh, prominent. You know, the main one that we all know is Pompeii. You know, how can you not hear about Pompeii? 
But everything I read about Pompeii said that it was very commercialized, it was very much destroyed, and um, that it was so full of people all the time that it wasn't worth the drive, that there was a, a little tiny gem closer to um, Napoli that was called, you know, Herculaneum. Ercolano is, you know, how they call it in Italy. And uh, that it wasn't as full of people and the, the buildings were more intact. So I decided to listen to that advice and we ended up going to Ercolano. And dude, dude, is, if, you, if you're headed down that direction and you have any appreciation for history in any way, shape or form, and you realize that you're stepping in houses that are 2,000 years old, and then some, because that's when it happened. I think it was the Vesuvius erupted in um, 76 AD, if I'm not mistaken. That's when it took place. That was one of the eruptions, because the last time it erupted was in 1944, 1946 or something. But um, to realize that all this, this entire city was buried by 20 meters of hot ash. And everything just stopped in time. And you can see caves in which families just huddled together uh, and died because it was so hot that even the stones around it were melted. And you realize, holy smokes, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> this is a special place. Um, I was... Um, I was just awestricken by Ercolano, but uh, uh, something interesting that happened to me when I was there, uh, anyone that knows me at a personal level understands that I, I've always wanted to be in certain places since I was a little boy. I figure, you know, I see this on TV and maybe one day when I'm rich and famous, I never thought I was going to do it, but I tried, uh, that I was going to visit four different places. And um, one of them... Uh, because of my military background, I wanted to visit the beaches of Normandy and northern France and uh, in Belgium for World War One and whatnot, and even the Netherlands for that matter. So I, I visited those sites, you know, Utah, Omaha, Juno Beach, uh, Flanders Fields, Ebes, Tyne du and all those places that, that, that you see and we celebrate often. Uh, then I wanted to go to Paris and see... Um, the Eiffel Tower and stare in the eyes of the Mona Lisa. I, I, you need to see that. You, I had to see it. How long was the wait for you when um, you went? How long was the wait? People wait like hours to see that. No, um, not not the days that I've been there because I've been there twice. Uh, when I went there, there was a lot of people. The problem is that it's a lot smaller than people think it is. So. You need to get through the crowd uh, in order for you to come close to it. But uh, you know, if I had to, if I had to pick, I, I think that the Louvre is a fantastic place, and you can literally get lost there for days. Uh, but um, I got more of a visceral reaction to Van Gogh in Musée d'Orsay, which is a smaller, it's a smaller museum. It's a lot more intimate, and they have a lot more pieces there that uh, you would not r really realize are that close to you. You can stand a foot away from an original Van Gogh, and until you've seen a masterpiece, you you don't you can't have an opinion unless you've seen it. 
You can't really say anything about it. I, I subscribe to that. And uh, just like when people are, you know, when when a woman is trying to tell me what it takes to be a man or or I try to say to somebody what is she supposed to do in the third trimester, you know, it's like, you, sorry, man, you don't have a say in the matter until you've been there. Um, but until you've seen a masterpiece, you, you can't uh, you can't have a comment on it. I guess you could, but it's not valid. That's my opinion, and you don't have to take it. Um, then the, fir- the the same thing I felt when I, in, uh, along my travels, I wanted to be in the pyramids. I, I wanted to be inside the intestine of the Great Pyramid of Giza and touch uh, King Kiev's sarcophagus inside the Pyramid of Giza. And... To touch it, to feel it, to smell it, to feel the heat, because inside the pyramids is is over a hundred degrees inside. It's so hot, um, and only then to realize that uh, there is no way that that was built by people. Like I'm sorry, man. I I don't care what anybody tells me. Uh, you know, I have a special guest this morning. I have two special guests this morning, and Richard Seret uh, is uh, is here with me. I, I'm super happy that you're here with me, Richard. And uh, I, you know, after we go on the break, we'll 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 dissect this a little bit more because uh, he has a lot to say on not human things uh, and until you've been there and you see the precision you've seen how unbelievably perfect everything is inside for something that allegedly was built I don't know 5,000 years ago then you understand that I'm, that is not possible you can't um, then when I um when I got to Italy, the the Colosseum was always a thing. Like I, I wanted to be where the warriors died. I wanted to be in Circus Flavius. I think the Flavius is the name of the actual building. It's not. It was never called the Colosseum. Uh, but as I was as I was walking around it there, and I, I shared some of this with you last night, uh, Richard. The uh, I I felt I kept walking towards it and it, it didn't get any bigger because the place is so enormous you can't conceptualize how enormous the the Colosseum is. Um, as I walked to the entrance, I uh, I started to hear the sound, and uh, the closer and closer and deeper I got into the Colosseum, I realized that uh, there was a full on orchestra playing out loud the soundtrack of the movie Gladiator. Oh, that's awesome. So I dude, man, I I walked in and you know, I'm pretty hairy, right? So my arms were thicker with how much my the hairs on my arms just stood up. Every single cell of my body was reacting to this grandiose sight. And you didn't know this was going to happen. No, I had no idea. That's awesome. No, I had no idea. And you know, the funny is that, you know, my girl was walking behind me and she was filming this. I didn't know. And uh, I I stopped for a second to try to take a picture, but I was so distracted by the sound. Then when I walked in, you look up and it is impossible to not cry like a baby when you get hit with the smell, with the sound, with the sight, with the enormity of the sight. And 
I, I remember just doing a 360 on my spot, listening to the sound of the, of the soundtrack and just crying like a baby. Dude, I was unable to control the heavy leakage of my uh, tear ducts. Um, I felt happy uh, that I was there. It was... Uh, I... I <laughs> There is so much to see out there, and we are so focused on and distracted on what's here, what goes on on a daily basis, whether somebody cuts you off on the lineup in Starbucks, <laughs> that everything becomes so trivial. But when you're there, it's, it's, a, different, it's a different feeling. You need to travel. You need to see things. You need to add perspective. And only when you do so, you start appreciating the things that you have at home. Folks, you are listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. And believe it or not, we're Canada's largest automotive radio show. We're not talking about cars today. I will talk to you if you have a question, but that's not my preference. Today, there are more important things than car to talk about. If you have something to say and you've traveled to nice places, you can always call us. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. Richard Sirid is with me on the show. And later on, we have a very special guest with me. His name is Daniel Bolelli. He is the uh, author. Uh, he's an author, but uh, I started to follow him as the host of a podcast called History on Fire. And I am really looking forward to talk to Daniel. So he's going to come down a little bit farther down the show. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We are the home of the no commission salespeople. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. When I cross the street, it's the cars that have to look both ways. <laughs> I'm Chuck Norris, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Hi, I'm Hazel Grace, and I'm here to let you know that if you want to be my friend, you got to be choked first. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no friendship between us. And you are watching The Greg Carrasco Show. Don't miss it, and don't blink it. Take so long to get started, you know. They, that, that it always pays me, you know, puts a bit of a problem in my game. That's on me, my bad. <laughs> I should have been familiar with the song. I didn't you know it. You should have been. That's on me. Come my on, fault. it's okay. And you know, if we don't comply, you know, we get slapped, right? You know, that's the Canadian way. <laughs> so, if we don't comply with the thirty seconds and enough Canadian content, we are. We'll be fine. We're out of business. <laughs> you know, the moment that anything other than competency is said to use to set the standards is when our society is doomed, Richard. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Great to be with you. It's good to have you here, man. I am, I'm super happy that um, 
that you took the time. You know, you normally don't come down to the uh, to the show, but uh, yeah, and to the studio. Uh, you did it from here last night, no? Yeah, because I had to get out to uh, to dinner with you last night. That's awesome, man. I I had a great time. Me too. Uh, me too. I, I had a great time. I I, uh, I came home and uh, and my girl said to me, I, "You talked to him for." Three hours. What are you going to have to talk about <laughs> next tomorrow morning? I said, you know, when you when you talk into a brilliant mind, it just it never ends. It never ends. It, it <laughs> never talking does. about the waiter, right? <laughs> I don't know about that, uh, but um, no, it was um, it was. I always enjoy myself when you're around. Likewise. And, um, likewise. Uh, I I do feel uh, often that I'm uh, under equipped. To uh, to be able to, uh, to 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 oppose uh, you know to give you some sort of an intellectual challenge in in, in our conversations, but uh, um, I like to try anyways. Oh, so that's just complete and utter nonsense. <laughs> that's just complete and utter nonsense. You know the best part of the evening? Well, other uh, than the steak, the steak was great. Yeah, it was good steak. The conversation was great, and and uh, you know we were engaged in some deep metaphysical discussions and and then all of a sudden i get this text from the mighty aphrodite <laughs> saying where are you the boys toilet needs plunging that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so grounding and you showed up at home and you open your shirt and said you know plunger man is coming <laughs> Well, uh, I, I guess we did different things when we came home last night. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations uh, on your your uh, engagement, and um, I'm glad you found someone that's going to bring you peace. The other key, I think, to uh, if I might, is yep. uh, find someone who makes you laugh. And the, the the mighty Aphrodite has made me laugh at least once a day, heartily every every day since I've known her, like tw almost 25 years ago. And last, it was a perfect example, you know, last night sending that text. <laughs> yeah, it is awesome. You know, honestly, the, um, the world can be very dense if you let it. And uh, if you can't find a little bit of levity with your partner and at home, it's just, you know, you're not going to find it anywhere else. Uh, but um, you see, home should not be a battleground. You know, you, you can be out there in the world as a masculine male mm. fighting the walls, bringing home the bacon, and then go and fight another battle at home. And uh, that's what I find a lot of guys do these days and they live a, a life of, you know, of sadness, of of frustration, and uh, they can't wait to get out. And that's I, I believe that's the reason why golf is so popular. <laughs> Because uh, the only reason why guys go and hang Come out with on, guys man. just to get away from their wives and Come their on. lives. <laughs> That's what they do. Golf is overrated, man. Come on. Don't don't lie. You know, I if I had if I had four or five hours to spare, Richard, they would always involve my girl. Because I actually like spending time with her. Well, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, right? that's the whole point. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I don't understand how. Um, maybe maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's just an acquired taste. And I, I and at some point when I'm eighty, I'm gonna just like oh, when I was a young man, I used to hate golf, and now I, I don't know. Maybe it's an age thing. I um, I haven't hit a ball in years. Uh, it's not that I haven't tried. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hit the ball. <laughs> Can you hit a baseball? <laughs> no, um, not anymore. The, not anymore. So the but boys, I, the boys don't get it from your side. Uh, I can. Well, I used to play baseball, but uh, golf. What is uh, who was it? Mark Twain. It said it's a good walk spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I shoot under ninety, man. I uh, you know in the in the front. Yeah, nine. there you go. There you go. <laughs> Whenever I golf, because I tried it, I honestly tried it. I always remember having to bring a box of 50 balls. 
<laughs> yeah, they... <laughs> it was a very expensive game. You know, golf balls are hey, very expensive. That's my one criticism on it. It's expensive. It's it is expensive. too, too expensive. Same with hockey. Yeah. Hockey is so expensive. You know, I uh, I always tell people this. You want to get in shape, come and do jujitsu for for a third of what it costs you uh, for a round of golf or a day at the golf club. You can actually pay for a full month membership in which you can test your abilities and get yourself, like Daniela Bolelli says, get in inoculated against the fear of violence by getting injected with little tiny bit of violence as every day so when you actually <laughs> sounds lovely yeah, I know when you encounter it you, you're good let's go <laughs> here kick my ass kick my ass let's go now what is happening out there in the world I'm gone for less than two weeks and uh, they, uh, they open up the indictment against Trump uh, you know people are getting stabbed in France the, the sky is on fire what's going on I, I leave for a few minutes and it's like the world falls apart well as I mentioned the other day on the radio uh, regarding the uh, the so-called wildfires. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, arson is not climate change. Arson is not climate change. Let's get that straight. It was, it's arson in many cases. Others, uh, other forest fires. It, you know, it's interesting if you look at the satellite photos. The the, the so-called wildfires yeah. that are caused by climate change stop at the border. Like, what's that all about? They do. Yeah, look at the satellite images. They stop right at the border. That's so funny. That is very funny. A beautiful, clear day in, um, in, in Quebec, and all of these fires, like, seemingly start simultaneously. Appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. At the same time. I think there's a degree of orchestration here. Not to get too conspiratorial. Uh, you know, that's my other show, but... Well, you know... This is not climate change. A lot of the conspiracy theories that we had at the beginning of COVID, they've all turned out to be true. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would be uh, too willing to um, marginalize and ostracize all the conspiracy theories these days. They seem to know something that we don't. So... I'm I'm open for suggestions, Richard. You know, I'm always open for suggestions. Now, when it comes to conspiracy, I I understood that um, um, the Biden was bribed, or he received like a five million dollars, and that was the same day that they opened the indictment against Trump. That seems hardly orchestrated. Right, right. Yeah, let's focus on the uh, on bad orange man who is moving some boxes around at, yeah. down in Mar-a-Lago. How horrible. He was moving some boxes around. Uh, so now they want to charge him under the Espionage Act, um, which the Democrats, uh, you know, vilif- have been vilifying for 100 years. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, they want to use the the uh, the Espionage Act for moving some boxes around, which is basically what he did. Um, meanwhile, you're right. Joe Biden, we have this uh, anonymous whistleblower <clears throat> who drew uh, attention to this FBI document, which purportedly shows that Joe Biden took a bribe. Now, we've known about that for several months. Now, the people that are uh, looking at the document, getting a chance to look at it because they they uh, subpoenaed the FBI director, Chris Ray, said he got to produce the document. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Then they were going to send the cops after him. Finally, he relented. So a couple of Congress people have looked at it. Now, it turns out that the $5 million bribe, the foreign uh, actor that it came from was purportedly a uh, a board member on Burisma, that uh, Ukrainian uh, oil and gas company that Hunter Biden was paid about a million dollars a year because he had ac- because he had access to his daddy, the vice president. So Joe Biden took a five million dollar bribe from a guy uh, on uh, Burisma, uh, and you remember the uh, the Ukrainian prosecutor that uh-huh. was going to investigate. 
uh, Burisma, Joe Biden, as vice president, said to the uh, then president of Ukraine, if you don't fire that prosecutor, you're not getting you know, any money, any, any, you know, our billions in aid. <laughs> uh, so he's the president uh, took a five million dollar bribe. And that's okay, but let's go after the guy that was moving some boxes around in Mar-a-Lago. The way that I look at it is a, is a little bit, uh, you know, and I appreciate the depth of what you just explained to me. I just, you know, from a layman's perspective, I feel that whenever all media establishment, all political establishment, uh, all the elite, they all get together and they want to suppress one person – is because that person is an actual threat. I don't know what sort of threat he's posing on these people, but I dig it. Because whenever the elite gets afraid, it's because they're hiding something. And I think that because Donald Trump cannot and will not be controlled, you have to uh, you have to look at it from that perspective. He's not seeking to become a billionaire. He's already there. Mm -hmm. He's not seeking that sort of power, at least in my opinion. He already has it. So whenever you have someone that will not obey and comply to the establishment and the establishment has done everything to make this guy crack and fall down. You know, I'm telling you, man, I don't know if this is going to work out in their favor because if I were, a, if I was a citizen of the United States right now, I would be digging my heels in to get him elected no matter what. I, ho I hope that's the case. I had um, U.S. Attorney John O'Connor on the program uh, yesterday. Uh, whose opinion I respect very much from a legal standpoint. I mean, mm -hmm. he was um, uh, Deep Throat's lawyer, Deep Throat from Watergate, after yeah. he was outed by the uh, the Washington Post, um, uh, felt he was the, at the time of Watergate, he was the, I believe he was the deputy director of the FBI. So he was the informant. And he, when he went public, John O'Connor was his attorney, and, and O'Connor was also involved in the Patty Hearst case. I mean, he's a, a tremendous attorney, and he's also a Trump supporter. But he he thinks the the there are thirty nine charges in the indictment. The the first thirty one, I think he said, are nonsense. The the final seven or eight, uh, he thinks they have something Trump dead to rights because he's caught on videotape talking about well. Telling a lawyer about these documents that the the um, under the Presidential Records Act he's supposed to return, I guess to to whomever, and Trump is caught on tape saying, "Well, maybe we will tell them we just don't have them." Mm -hmm. So he's avoiding he's avoiding turning over these documents. Um, Do we know what documents there? I believe some of them pertain to uh, Iran. Okay. Now here's the thing: there's no malicious intent. He's not, you know. He's not trying to sell the documents for personal gain. He's not trying to sell out the country by giving them to some foreign entity. He's holding on to them for whatever reason. Maybe he thinks these documents actually uh, might be sort of uh, uh, um, evidence for him uh, in some future debate if they say that you were supporting Iran or you weren't supporting this or you mm -hmm. were supporting that. So we can say, no, I've got the documents. Hard to say. But the point is that – the Presidential Records Act—that's not—that's not the—that's not espionage. 
You know, that's just a that's a minor fine at most. So, you know, find him guilty, fine him and let's move on. Do you really want to throw a president? I mean, these charges mm-hmm. carry a potential of 140 years in prison. So you've got as we enter uh, primary season in the United States, you've mm-hmm. got the Biden administration prosecuting a former president, your political opponent, threatening him with 140 years in jail, as again, for moving some boxes around. Uh, I mean, this is just a few years ago, we would have thought even for the Democrats mm-hmm. that this would be unthinkable. They have they have they have crossed the Rubicon. So I, I really hope uh, I, I think John O'Connor is wrong when he says that this is going to sink Trump, that that, um, you know, middle America, suburban um, housewives uh, are not going to vote for him because of this. I think they're going to look at this and say enough is enough, as you just said. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to compare, a, you know, a president that was caught moving some boxes around, mm-hmm. compare that to, you know, Joe Biden taking a $5 million bribe from a foreign actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do we know that this is was actually a $5 million bribe? Well, that's what the document is purported to show. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, let's get it out there and let's investigate it. Um, let's investigate, you know, if you... Trump's um, handling of the classified documents is is uh, you know a minor thing, and I would I would go on to say that Joe Biden's handling yeah. of those documents as well is a minor thing. It's a wash, all right. Biden mishandled some documents. Mike Pence mishandled some documents. Joe Biden mishandled some documents. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Let's, I really can't get worked up about that stuff. Let's move on. I mean, the country's on the on the. Uh, the precipice with the, the you know illegal migrants flooding in and 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 the old drugs guys, yeah, and, yeah. And sure it's it's sure. just a, it, it's crumbling the nation is crumbling are we going are we going to disqualify someone from being president because of you know mishandling some some documents which are covered under the presidential records act well look at it this way um, you know from a strategy standpoint uh, if you can't convince confuse and I think that uh, the the smokescreen has been launched right now, uh, and uh, from you know from a political strategy, I would say that the Democratic Party is doing a phenomenal job, you know, avoiding the actual issues at hand. The economy's in the tank. The president is unable to preside anything. Uh, we've we've seen him. I, I mean, he. I don't know how is possible that the man. Maybe the 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 news bits that I'm seeing are just. Little tiny bits that are extrapolated from a bigger pitch. I don't know because we we get manipulated by the media on a regular basis. So I don't know if my algorithm is manipulating me, and I, I try to remain skeptical to everything, and I I question it. Uh, you know that whole notion of Descartes that says the omnibus dubitandum. Question everything. Mm-hmm. I do the stuff that I'm for and the stuff that I'm against. Um, but I I don't see how the American public. I guess just like the Canadian public can sit idle and do nothing about it. Um, my hope is that the the base, the the middle America, the the actual worker, the farmer, the miner, the, the that section of the American population, not the coastal elites, um, stand up and say enough. And and go in and vote in such a way that uh, it would be 
we would be unable to mistake the decision that the public made. Uh, but I don't know if that's even trustworthy anymore. Nor do I. Nor do I. And it's not about voting machines. It's about um, it's about states changing election laws conveniently during COVID. And it's about lack of signature verification. And it's about ballot harvesting. It's not about getting out the vote on election day anymore. It's about who can who can find the most ballots mm-hmm. shall win. So and so. Uh, uh, it's it's time for the GOP down there to um, to stop playing fair. They got to fight fire with fire. I mean, you can stand there and 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 just take punches, uh, but you're going to beat the Democrats. You're going to have to you're going to have to outbeat them in ballot harvesting. If you're gonna if we're gonna shut if we're gonna stop this um, unequal application of the law, uh-huh. where Hillary Clinton gets to destroy. 30,000 emails and smash personal devices with with hammers rather than t- turn them over to the FBI as required by law, mm-hmm. um, then we're going to have to have Republican attorney generals or attorneys general in uh, red, red states start indicting Bill and Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden and Christopher th- Ray. Do you think that... Uh that Trump has the power to unify the GOP to start retaliating, to start fighting the the battle. Because right now, it seems like the Republican Party in the United States is severely divided. Uh, now, the polls don't say that in relation to the public opinion, because Trump has an, a massive lead that it doesn't even make sense for anybody to compete, even DeSantis. Um, but um, do you think that Trump has the power to unify the GOP in the United States for the GOP to create a, a conscious effort to go and defend themselves. I don't know that it's it, that it's even necessarily dependent on Trump to do that. I I think uh, if the Republicans, uh, true conservatives, mm-hmm. uh, want to have a party, want to have a country, you know, in the next four years, they're going to have to take that upon themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think we're I think we're starting to see signs of that, uh, where you have, for example, um, governors banding together and sending. Um, the National Guard to the border because, you know, the president has has totally abdicated his constitutional responsibility to defend the nation. So you've got Republican governors taking that upon themselves. So, uh, yeah, I think think a large element of the Republican Party will galvanize in that regard. I hope so. Otherwise, all is lost. Well, I, I hope that that's the case. I don't see it happening. But, uh, you know, why don't we do this, uh, Jacob? Let's take a very, very little short break here because um, I don't really like to stop the cadence of the conversation with Richard. I never like to do that. Unfortunately, when you have live radio, you just, it's not long format. We have to uh, give some time to the sponsors. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. And I can tell you, those who know, know that before you make any car buying decisions, you need to come and see me. I will provide a safe environment for you to make a decision when you. You are ready. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. If you have something to say, call me. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Randy Couture. And if I'm not beating people up, I'm listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Give it a listen. Take care. Hi, everybody. This is Haley Wickenheiser, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. There are several ways that you can listen to the show. You Clearly, you're listening to it right now. But uh, if for whatever reason you want to listen to the show on your own time, you can go to iTunes. You can go to Spotify. You can Google uh, podcasts also. Uh, but um, we also live stream the video uh, on Saga 960 website. Uh, we can also do it on uh, on Facebook. So if you go to my Facebook account, you're going to be able to see the link. And you can actually watch the TV show of sort, you know, going on. I'm not if the, I am that interested to look at, but uh, you can actually join us live and it's happening. Uh, it's, it's live right now. And uh, uh, just click subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast and you're going to be able to get the show very, very soon after uh, we finish it on Saturday mornings. My uh, my webmaster usually cuts it up and puts it up on the web uh, sometime on Sunday. So Monday morning on your drive to work, you can listen to us on the drive wink wink (laughs) (laughs) but but anyways uh, lots of lots of things in the news uh, this this week Richard and um, uh, I was in uh, I was in Italy when I uh, when I just jumped on my news feed on my phone and uh, I heard about this uh, this man that went in a playground and uh, wielded a knife and decided to for no reason whatsoever, just stab a bunch of kids and a couple of adults. Um, now, while people stood by and watched, and some of them, for the gram, I guess, decided to just film this and not get involved. Yeah, we. I mean, we we talked about this uh, another time. I think it was on my show. The the stabbing that took place in Vancouver. Yes, with this the Starbucks. This this man objected to this individual vaping uh, marijuana so close to his toddler daughter Mm -hmm. uh, and ended up being stabbed in the stomach and dying. Uh, And as he's collapsing into a pool of his own blood, yeah, there's a guy with a a cell phone camera recording the whole thing, later then poses for a selfie uh, with the pool of blood and the body of this man, poor Mm -hmm. man, still there. So, yeah, I, I don't know what possesses someone. Well, I have some theories, uh, but I it, it, people are so inured to suffering and and death and violence now that um, it's it's very concerning. And so, yeah, the same thing playing out here in this Alpine resort town in France on Thursday. Anessi, I guess, is the town mm-hmm. for this um Syrian refugee. I, he has refugee status in Sweden. I'm not sure why he was in France. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He goes on this uh, rampage and is stabbing children, babies, in a playground. Uh, there's The video is horrific. I mean, he's stabbing a little baby in a stroller as the baby is sitting in a stroller. And mother is uh, out of their minds screaming. Uh, then he's stabbing some of the adults. And in the video, you see men Mm-hmm. Fleeing. There's one man. He he slides down a slide and then he runs off. Are these his kids? Is he abandoning his own children to this knife wielding lunatic? Um, even if they're not their children, I, I, a man I I believe has a responsibility, has an obligation to defend young innocent children, even if they're not his own. I think that everybody hates. Toxic masculinity as is labeled today until the barbarians come knocking at the door and then we look for them. 
because they are the only ones that are crazy enough to jump into the fray and do something about it. And uh, as you know, I, I, I do have to recognize that man with the backpack in the video because I saw a short little snip of this person. Yes. Um, that man was not equipped in the ways of combat. However, something snapped inside his mind that says, it's my duty to go there and jump into the fray, put myself in harm's way to stop or at least try to stop this from continuing. I uh, I was amazed when I saw this, the lack of, I don't know if it's the lack of courage or the lack of empathy uh, or how numb we've become to the notion of us doing something about it. We've become a society of victims in which everything happens to us and we have no agency on correcting a behavior or, you know, stopping something from happening. And look, I understand that whenever you jump in in in, in, in the face of danger, that something bad could happen. But I'd rather die trying to stop violence than sit idle and watch it happen in front of my eyes. And that is the eyes and the, the, the actual mind of regret because you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Precisely. Yeah. And I, what has happened to even uh, our self-preservation instinct? It's been numbed uh, or obliterated. Uh, you know, in these mass shootings, when some crazed individual is emptying his revolver mm-hmm. into somebody and then has to stop and reload and people stand around and watch him reload, where is that instinct to rush that individual? You know, I, it's gone. It, it is. The, uh, you know, Richard, and what I can tell you here is is this. It is uh, having, having been born and raised... In what I would is is difficult to explain to the audience what it's like to grow up in the ghetto of another of a third world country, because there is nothing here that compares to this. Um, when you open the door of your humble little home, and in order for you to clear the steps of the front of your house, you have to jump over two people that are unconscious because they were sniffing glue to the point that they were unconscious on your doorstep. And then you don't know if you can make it down to the grocery store because somebody will take that from you. Um, when you cannot stay on the streets when the lights go down, because at night all the creepy crawlers come out and you have to lock the doors and the windows and everything has a fence. Everything is gated in which we had to break bottles and mix that with concrete to put on top of the walls of the backyard of our houses so no one can jump over and that wasn't enough to stop people from breaking into your house and stealing your dirty laundry. Because they would steal dirty clothes. That's how much the need was. You become numb to danger. You don't know how to recognize it. 
You see, this is the problem. Humans have lived in the zoo for far too long. Mm. We have been fed far too long. Our instincts have been numb. They've disappeared. You see, if, if you take any animal from the zoo and you put him back into the original habitat, they all die. Lions don't know how to hunt. Gazelles don't know how to run. And this is exactly what's happening in North American society. Richard, I can tell you, it's too easy to be alive today. Yeah, they, it, it, we've, we've um, mentioned this saying many times, but um, tough times make for strong men. Strong mm -hmm. men make for good times. Good times make for weak men. And that's where we're at right now, unfortunately. You know, look at, over the, the, the course of two million years, for two million years, men hunted. We brought home the bacon, literally. We went out, we hunted, we brought home antelope and cooked it over a fire. For two million years, we did that. And then in the span of 12,000 years, there's no more hunting. Now you're a farmer. And then we moved into the cities 300 years ago, and you're no longer a farmer. Now you work. Now you work in an assembly line. And then... Along comes the robotic revolution. No, we don't need you to work anymore. You need you to stay home. You stay home. Yeah. And so, you know, I know we're going to get into this uh, more after the break, but then what does it mean now to be a man? We don't, we don't bring, we don't, we don't hunt. We don't farm. We don't work. What do we do? Exactly. That's a good question to ask. And, you know, we have a young man here, Jacob, that uh, uh, is, you know, the producer of the show. And uh, I, I want you engaged on the next hour of the show because uh, I, I think that all three of us here, uh, we're Richard and I are much closer in age than uh, you are to us. But uh, I would like to explore with you what it means to be a man in today's society and what can we do as men to pass that along to our beautiful boys that are under attack. And uh, I, I do feel that this is a conversation that's important to be had. And, uh, I, you know, some pe people may be offended in the process. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't care. Uh, being offended is a personal choice to make. Nothing changes when you're offended. So <laughs> let's let's try that. Folks, you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We're going to take a short break. And on the other side of the hour, Richard Serrett and I and Jacob, my producer, uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a man today. Confusion is setting in, and I think that there's a lot of men that are confused. Literally. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Moça do corpo dourado do sol de Ipanema O seu balançado é mais que um poema É a coisa mais linda que eu já vi Hey, what's up, sports fans? Forrest Griffin here, and I want you to check out the Greg Carrasso Show. Check him out. Greg and the gang. Uh, yeah, enjoy. It is time for Greg Carrasco! Show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this right go? Whoa. Yeah. Celebrity guest from the East Coast to the West. 
who knows who he has next? At Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn, he's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a cow stock. Movie talk on a boardwalk. Shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. The show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Greg Carrasco. song so we are we allowed to play them longer still oh no <laughs> we figured that if we suck up to uh, canadian bands we can probably play uh, songs a little longer but i N guess that's nickelback's the exception yeah they are the exception uh you know that's something that uh, our our good friend uh, is it ryan right yeah uh, ryan should have on that uh, to-do list To get Chad. Yeah, to okay. get Chad from well, Nickelback. I, I'm going to ask you again, have you DM'd him on Instagram? No, not yet. You, so you're you're not a man of your word. You've been saying I, this now for I, months. You know, honestly, I am. I just keep forgetting. <laughs> so uh, so he'll just, remind you. He'll, that'll be Ryan's job. He'll remind you to DM so, Chad. So listen to this. Uh, when when you are, when an engagement is imminent, uh, I have had more important things in, in my life than uh, to think about Chad Kruger from Nickelback. Come on, man. Cut me some slack. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you're probably wondering why we're talking about Nickelback. Um, a little while ago... Uh, I wonder know, why anybody would talk about Nickelback. Uh, hey, 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 show some respect yeah, to our Canadian, Canadian icon. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened was is that we, uh, in, in natural Carrasco uh, fashion, we we tried, we take a lot of time to pick the songs that, uh, that we play on the show. And uh, somebody complained to the CRTC that we were not playing enough um, Canadian content. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, so we got slapped. Uh, and then from, from then on, I decided to only play Nickelback as Canadian content. We did that for, what, two months or so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so and at some point, people just like say, "Come on, Greg, you know we we'll get the joke." But uh, and, and I still, I would strongly suggest that we do that. Uh, and since we're going to pick somebody, we might as well pick the pinnacle mm -hmm. of Canadian mm -hmm. um, musical prowess, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but no, I would love to have uh, Chad here on the show. So, Chad, if you're listening to the Carrasco show, like you know, ten, sure he is. tens of thousands of people do, uh, you have an open invitation. But, uh, you know, We have a new Chase producer, uh, you know, uh, Brandon has uh, has taken on other uh, roles within the organization. And uh, but uh, as a parting gift, he left us Daniela Bolelli, which is I thank you, Brandon, for doing that for us. But uh, Ryan, uh, I'm going to entrust him to get us uh, some interesting people on the show, like uh, Dennis Prager, maybe uh, 
Dave Rubin, okay. you know, maybe uh, Todd Shapiro. Okay. Uh, you know, all those guys that we, uh, that we see, uh, even Charles Kirk. I would love to have that guy here. Uh, and from both sides, I wouldn't mind uh, venturing into you know, social, political, or philosophical conversations from both sides of, of the political spectrum, You're if, if you will. Yeah. I listen to everybody. Oh, you do. No, you do. I, you I do. try to. I, and I don't try. I don't listen uh, in an attempt to fight with people. I, I, I listen. I try to anyways to listen in an attempt to understand. Because, uh, look, man, there is enough division in our society today. <laughs> uh, there is enough division that uh, we are. we seem to be looking for reasons to vilify our fellow citizens, friends, neighbors. And uh, COVID was just a, a very, very small sample of that when my neighbors were vilifying me for, I don't know, not wearing a mask while I was washing my car outside. Like, really? <laughs> don't worry. I won't forget. <laughs> I won't forget. I'm not Jesus. I'm not turning the other cheek, man. <laughs> and then the time will come. But anyways, I, uh, I'm i sorry. You know, I think that a lot of things were exposed throughout COVID. Uh, and uh, we, we understood what was inside people's hearts. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I, nor will I forget or forgive. Unless, I mean, you can't forgive until there's an apology or an acknowledgement of what was wrong. Nobody's acknowledging or apologizing. So there's no forgiveness. Well, yeah, I, you know, I have, I have thoughts about that. But uh, I, I think that what, what I don't, what I won't accept an apology is, is for what our society is doing to young men today. Uh, we have, we seem to be on a quest to indoctrinate uh, our young boys into thinking that being a boy and boy behavior is, is something for them to be ashamed of, embarrassed of, or boy behavior to be eradicated. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, it's I, child abuse. It, it it is it absolutely is. When you uh, look, I, I'm going to try to paint a picture to you, Richard. And uh, I, I was having this discussion with a with a girlfriend of mine a little while ago. Actually, it was a couple of days ago, in which we were talking about nature. And uh, you know, I I post the the the, the thought the, the following thought exercise: um, a lion. Uh, that was born in captivity. You know, the the lioness was in the zoo, and a lion was born in at the zoo. Uh, he's always lived in a cage. Uh, he's never had to hunt because the meat was fed um, the entire time. And um, so, this lion has no recollection of another time in which they were free. They were always raised in ca- captivity. Correct. So. Why do they lock the cage? Why do they love the cage? They, no, why do they lock? Oh, why do they lock, lock the, cage? the cage at the zoo? If this lion Ex- is... Excellent point. <laughs> yeah, if it's never really hunted, it's never really killed anything, it doesn't understand anything other than what is the current reality is. Why do they lock the cage? Well, there's some still some vestige there of, you know, there's some instinct that's bred into the animal, but this uh, is not to hunt and fend for itself. But it still poses, obviously, a, a you know a danger. Now it hurts because now it doesn't hunt to kill to feed. It kills to hurt. It finds itself. It makes it more dangerous. A caged lion is more dangerous than one in the wild. 
Because a one in the wild, unless it feels a threat, right. it's just laying there protecting the pride. It's not hunting, you know, for the sake of hunting. No, it's not saying, yeah. hunting. It's, it's not a dangerous line in that sense. But you see, this is what happens when we try to suppress a man's nature. We turn weak men, and weak men are dangerous. Yeah, two million, two million years of a biological imperative for men to be to exercise some form of violence, either hunting or you know protecting, uh, fending off uh, invaders. You're right. That's that's ingrained. Two million years of biological evolutionary uh, imperative. So what happens when you convince? A young man that all his impulses, that all his instincts, that all his nature, based on two million years worth of evolution or however long we've been around, is wrong. Then you are growing a resentful man. You are growing a weak and dangerous person in the sense that they are unpredictable because they will use that nature. They will try to get it out, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, they don't know how to channel it. They do not know how to channel it. And that is the abusive male. That is the one that we need to eradicate, the weak one. Because I can tell you this, some of this, look, I in, in the circles that I travel, Richard, I know a lot of dangerous men. <laughs> You know, and when I tell you that they're dangerous, I'm telling you that you couldn't last alive in a room with these people more than a few minutes. Uh, and I'm talking about my jujitsu academies. Right. Uh, as a martial artist, we get to know some very, very dangerous people. And I can tell you this. When you meet these people, you will not be able to ignore how peaceful and calm they are. But you know that there is a price to pay to engage him and his family. So his family is the absolute safest. True. It is yeah. the absolute safest. You know, they did an interview. I can't remember. I wish I remember the name of this child abuser that they actually interviewed on TV. And when they were asking him, you know, how is it that he picks a prey? And he says, you know, if, if the father could potentially be a problem, we stay away. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We stay away. Why? Because why would you pick somebody when somebody can give you a problem? So having a father figure around has always been the catalyst of Peace, you know, that whole notion of civis pacem parabellum, you know, to secure peace is to prepare for war. The best fight is the one that you don't have. Exactly, exactly. So, deterrence. Yeah, folks, when you see some cauliflower ears out there, what are the chances that somebody's going to pick a fight with that person? You just don't. Why wouldn't you pick a fight with somebody with cauliflower ears, Jacob? Because they've been through the ringer. They, <laughs> they, they know what it takes. But they have been inoculated against the fear of violence because that's what they engage in doing. So, you, you see, when I saw that video uh, of that guy stabbing the kids, now, I didn't see the actual stabbing because I refuse to get myself numb to violence. I won't do it. You know, there are some pretty graphic videos on the web, and I, I try not to. I try my best not to unless somebody hijacks. You know, from time to time you see a video, it's like, whoa, I didn't need to see that. I try not to do that because I never want to be immune to the actual violence itself. And people confuse fighting with violence, and they're not the same thing, Richard. They're not the same thing. Explain. Okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> 
You see, fighting, fighting is predicated under a basic certain understanding between the two people that are engaging into this exercise. There are some rules when you fight with somebody. You know, eventually you will win or you will lose. Then the fight ends. Violence has no end. The only way that it ends is through ultimate escalation, and that is death. You see, when I fight somebody in a ring, and my opponent says, okay, I tapped out, you stop. Right. There is a basic understanding between the two opponents in which you impose your will onto someone else. Violence doesn't care. Violence only seek, seeks pain. Violence only seeks to subdue and eliminate whoever is in front of, for whatever reason that happens to be. Violence doesn't have any logic. That's an interesting distinction, yeah. So, and, and this is the reason why it's so important. And, you know, you're going to maybe hear me say a bunch of platitudes and, and trivialities that you hear all the time. But the, the older I get, the more I understand the wisdom of those basic sayings. For example, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is with a good guy with a gun. Exactly. Exactly. This is I, what the, the, yeah, the gun uh, control advocates will never acknowledge or understand. This is the problem. Because now, justice, um, the the suppression of violence has been monopolized by a government institution rendering every other man unable to eliminate a threat. That's right. We're supposed to hide under the bed, cower, and call 911. Until the guy with the gun shows up. Until the good guy with the gun shows up. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Then you got to go to the safe, take out your handgun. Then you got to go to another safe, take out the ammunition. Then you got to figure out the combination to the trigger lock. Sorry, too late. You're dead. You're dead. By the time you do this, you're dead. So in Canada, you cannot use a gun as self-defense. You can't use it. If somebody is breaking into your house, they're murdering your wife and your children. And you happen to be a licensed gun owner, and you cannot use that gun to defend yourself. Well, you can, but they're going to they're going to make life miserable for you. They're <laughs> going to charge you. You're going to have to you're going to have to hire a lawyer. You you might win. You, you might. Yeah. You might. But the problem is this: when I say you can't, is because a lot of the defense that happens is a matter of seconds. Yes. So if you are unable. To get your weapon to defend yourself, you can't. You right. see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it's not prohibited by law. What you're saying is just not practical. By, it's, it's, it's by practicality. Logistically, logistically, logistically you yeah. cannot do it because yeah. you have to have two or three locks to stop anyone from stealing your weapons. But anyways, I think that we digress on that point. What I'm trying to say is here is this. Our men today do not understand the meaning of protection. They do not understand the meaning of what it takes for you to stand in the face of danger to protect your loved ones or a weak one. And that was evident on that video. And that was evident in Vancouver. And that was evident in that shooting that took place in Texas was a little while ago. Yes. When this guy walked in and somebody from the Border Patrol jumped in. Uvalde. Yes. Yeah. And he had to go himself and subdue when everybody stood around, even the police. Right. Well, and the parents that wanted to rush in were restrained by the police. It's fascinating to me. Now, here is the question. As man, because I am the swift definition of a toxic male, trust me. Try me. What advice do we give our boys? In, you know, before you answer that question, 
I do want to explore this with you as well, Jacob. So why don't we take a very, very short break? I have my friend, my very good friend, Richard Serry here with me, discussing what it takes to be a man in today's society and what advice we can give dads that are raising little boys and boys, young men, as to what they can do. We don't claim to have the answers, but we're going to try to explore the subject together uh, and step on a minefield. <laughs> <laughs> the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. up Toronto when the boogeyman goes to sleep he checks under his bed for me Ken Shamrock here and you're listening to the Greg Carrasco show hello Toronto And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show here with my very good friend Richard Serrett, talking about uh, masculinity and this uh, interesting, confused environment that we happen to be living in. You know, somebody very, very dear to me said once that uh, not long ago that uh, men are obsolete, that our society doesn't require that uh, that masculine energy that can create havoc. <laughs> I wish I had a few of those ones in France this week. Where are they when we need them? They're becoming less and less common these days because we're marginalizing them, we're pushing them away. But Anthony wants to talk about this. Anthony, thank you so much for calling the Carrasco Show this morning. What's on your mind this morning? Morning, gentlemen. Uh, you've struck a nerve with me uh, with this topic, and uh, you know, being a, a father of two two lovely young ladies and a, and a, a young son, uh, and a very strong, you know, uh, female uh, wife, <laughs> I, I, I'm having a tough time raising my son the way my dad raised me. And I'll tell you right off the top, I'm a feminist. I love women i uh, i've had the pleasure of having strong women around me my whole life it's made me uh, it's, it's been part of why i'm the man i am today but there uh, you know this being the protector and uh making sure that my my family is safe i still feel is a man's role uh, a father's role and being a father figure and teaching my kids things that you know they they cannot get through through their mother because these are things that i i was taught with from my father and I think it's 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 we're losing it because I see it through my friends who've given up. They've been demasculinized, and that's what I feel. Emasculated, you mean? Society. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but you know, demasculized. Yeah, it, I. This is what I can tell you, man. If if what you mean by feminist is that you want uh, fair treatment of both sexes and uh, you know the the equality of opportunity for for women, I think that I, I would find very difficult to find a man that is not for that. Uh, but I mean, feminism that's has right. taken a that's you know a has man. taken a yeah that, that's a, that's an actual man. 
understand. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think that what feminism, the new wave feminism has turned into something different, you know, has turned into something that uh, right. is they have overshot the target. And, and that's where the problem is. And uh, uh, I think that we have to be careful when we talk about those things simply because feminism today does not mean what we thought it meant in the 60s. Uh, when there was a real need for that. Today, we are pushing it to levels that uh, it means that now we are fighting against the other sex. We're fighting against men. We are fighting against the role that a man has in a society. And we've all known how this that exercise has turned out to be. Yeah, I'd like to get off on, yeah. on a tangerine here. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's where actually feminism went off the rails was yes. in the 60s with the whole sexual revolution. I, I mean, I would look to the, the first wave feminists, you know, um, who were pro, pro-life pro Staunchly pro-life, you know, they wanted the vote. They wanted women to participate in in, in society. The, the the first wave, you know, yes. the uh, the women that that um, uh, that that fought for the franchise, basically. The, uh, the, institution, the institution, I think that yeah, they, they they fought for the franchise. But I think that from from what Anthony is saying, uh, Richard, is that I I I can't disagree with you, uh, Anthony, and I'll tell you why. And I'm going to speak to uh, from a personal perspective. You know, the absolute worst thing that can happen to a man today that has children is divorce. Because the moment mm-hmm. that you get divorced, you are unable to be mm-hmm. of any sort of effective influence if you don't have a supporting ex-partner. You're unable right. to parent. Yeah. You can't protect. Yeah. Yeah. You only provide. You become an ATM machine. That's right. And that's the way that's the society yeah. that that's the way that society has constructed this. Now, so here is a question that I have for you. It is your job to become the person that your little boy is going to turn into. And it's also your job to become the man that your daughters want to emulate in their future husbands. So your job has never been as important as, as it is right now. Um do you do any sports with your son, Anthony? Yes. What do you guys do? Yes, I do. We do. Uh, we were part of a, a, a karate club, uh, which I was uh, hoping to build his confidence in, and it has. Uh, because, as you know, as as a student of the uh, of the art, it's not about learning how to fight, but it's just instilling the confidence uh, in someone. But yes, I, I do that with my uh, with my son. You know, I, I can tell you um, at the our jujitsu clubs um, the. The engagement of a student is directly related to the engagement of the parents. Right. They go hand in hand. If you see a mom or a dad that is in the studio, in the class, taking the classes with the kid, that kid will not leave the academy. They won't. That's I can right. see it. I can see yeah. it. So kids do not do what we tell them to do. They do what they see us doing. And as trivial and as common as that happens to be, it rings true every single time. You know, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's also very, very, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It is exciting to see how quickly we can determine which kid is going to make it or not. Because we just right. need to talk to the parents right. and the reasons why they're here. And then some of the first yeah. thing, some of the first thing that we tell people, you know, little boys and little girls, when you're addressing anybody, look at me in the eyes. Look at me in the eyes. If you look at me in the eyes, right. I can tell you, you're going to be able to fend away 
problems because when predators are looking for problems they always look at the ones that don't see you they always look at the ones that are looking at the ground and they are victims just by the posture so you see there are so many lessons that need to be learned from this uh, Anthony that uh, thank you so much for the phone call man I really appreciate it and if you have something to say on the matter call me 289-275-9600 is the phone number if you had one advice to give yourself in relation to becoming a man what advice would that be what would you what would you tell yourself when you know when you were 6 7 8 10 20 if you will what advice would you give yourself in relation to being a man what are your thoughts on that one self defense for sure learn to learn to box learn uh, you know karate whatever brazilian jiu jitsu learn to defend yourself mm-hmm. learn to fight Get yourself into peak physical condition. You know, for me, is tell the truth. As a man, right, you have to tell the truth. Yes, you know, and the truth in 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 a way that uh, is is a true to yourself. Because the moment that you lie, you are hiding yourself from your reality. Yeah, you're living a double life. You're living a double life, and the moment that you lie, you're weak. Because you are too afraid to confront your own existence. And I can tell you this, folks. You start telling the truth. Like you said in the, during the break, Richard, it becomes a muscle. You know, you tell the truth once, regardless of what the consequences are. And next thing you know, it becomes stronger and stronger. And then you become, you become a standard. You become a pillar. When somebody can talk to you and whatever they see is what you get, there is no ulterior motive. This is you. And when you shake somebody's hand as a man, it means something. What are your thoughts on that one, Jacob? Well, that resonates deep with me because when I was younger, I actually, and my parents can attest to this, I had an issue where I was such a people pleaser. I tried making every single person around me happy. Mm -hmm. And it resulted in me lying a lot because I would just tell people what they wanted to hear. When I learned how to stood my ground and say no to people, I could definitely tell there was a difference in the way people perceived me because I was not a pushover anymore. I was a much more rugged human being from that point going forward. You just touched on something else that I would tell myself. Learn that the word no is a full sentence. Hmm. Yeah, requires no explanation. No. End of story. No. We quoted Jordan Peterson yesterday on the show. A harmless man is not a good man, folks. If you're harmless, you're useless. If you're harmless, you're not a good person. A good person is a very dangerous man that uses that danger to protect, to enforce, and to obey the will of his family. What else do we have to do as men to protect the people that we love, Richard? Exactly, but that's been stripped away from us. Stripped away from that's us. We have own, to reclaim it. That's our only job. Yeah, we have to reclaim it. If you don't stand your ground, and you know, we're talking very literal here, but I mean, in, in, if, even figuratively speaking, if you are unable to fend for your people, if you are unable to provide for the people that you love and defend them in the face of danger, what is your job? That's that's not a rhetorical question. That is an actual question for you, Jacob. If you are unable to do those two things, to provide and protect for the people that you love, what is your job as a man? 
to exist? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I think it's also, I have to preface this by saying I'm not in the same position as you two, right? I don't have a family that I have to look. But you will. Correct. And I think that the way I look at it, it's it's important. It's based on your ability to solve problems and putting food on the table, protecting your family. That's a problem. And it's uh, as a man, you have to be the one to uh, to solve the problems in case whenever. The, and you've said this before, when crap hits the fan, everyone looks toward the, the male figure for what to do. And I've seen it in my family mm-hmm. and. It's just a reality. That's how we're biologically engineered. And I think that ultimately, no matter what kind of big or small, it's your ability to solve problems. That's I, a good point. I mean, yeah, it's, not all, yeah. it's not all about brawn. It's, it is problem solving as well. I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that we, we got to this aspect of it because uh, uh, when somebody asked me what is the biggest transferable skill that we teach our, our young students at the Jiu-Jitsu Academy is to be very, very comfortable in very uncomfortable situations. It's how not to panic in the face of danger, how to remain cool when temperature rises and make the right decision for you because you've been there before. And, you know, it's it's unbelievable what happens when you react out of emotion and not react out of training. You know, someone said once that you can only fight the way you practice. (laughs) But if you've never practiced how to put yourself in very difficult situations as a man, when the time comes, you will buckle. Mm. You will buckle. And what are you going to do then? Who's going to come to your aid? And that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we teaching our boys to fend for themselves in case you are not around? Can they fly on their own? Or you are this overprotected parent that are insulating and isolating the kid from any sort of struggle? Yeah, it's, it's, we're all about risk aversion. Uh, we, I think that's what, a part of the role of the father. I mean, mothers are more protective. Uh, they hover. It's about risk aversion. Don't do that. You'll scrape your knee, get out of the tree. That's fine. That That's necessary to a degree. It needs to be tempered, though, with a male figure who says, no, climb the tree, take a risk, scrape your knee. It's do, okay. Do very dangerous things safely. Yes. And you're there just in case. You know that's something that we miss, man. You know, I in in this book that I that I read not long ago by um, Hickson Gracie. Hickson Gracie is the uh, I mean, for lack of a better expression, he is the Jesus of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He is the absolute best that ever lived, in based on what we understand uh, when this started. And he says that his father had a practice that uh, every kid he would just grab in his hands and toss him up in the air, and as high as he could. Just to learn for them to trust their dad, but also to be afraid at the top Hmm. and knowing that there was something there to catch him. And they did that to all the kids. And based on how afraid the kid was, you could actually see the warrior spirit inside the little boys. And you knew which ones you needed to put more attention into them because sometimes warriors are just born. You know, it is it's, it's interesting to see because in every in every martial art that I've ever really been involved in, uh, and I've been a martial artist my whole life. I started very young, man, eight nine years old, and uh, in every single martial art that I've done, you always see the ones that are competitors. 
You know, the, you want, you see the ones that come in as a pastime. They just want to learn some confidence, a few skills and some techniques to protect themselves just in case. But then you see the other ones. The other ones that just are looking for the fight, that they're looking to prove themselves. Right. Where are those ones? They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they? Well, no, we see them. And we see them from time to time. And, and they do come up and you, you can't stop it. But what happens to them, you know... It, what happens to that spirit? You know, they go through the school system because, uh, as we said, there's a war on boys in the school system. Well, they get medicated. Mm-hmm. You know, they get diagnosed with ADHD. That's yeah. exactly right. And uh, they, they think that they have a problem. So now we, we need to eradicate that behavior. So they send you for assessments. You know, the vast majority of people that, because I talk to every parent that joins our academy, right? You know, I always ask them the same thing. What brought you to do jujitsu? And it's like, oh, you know, we we have problems with our son. He he has a bit of an attention deficit disorder or he is hyperactive. He is un, unable to focus. Uh, he has got way too much energy. and uh, And I always tell them the same thing. Stop. <laughs> He's a boy. He's a boy. And we have 300 of those ones with the same issues here. And, you know, you're not the exception. It's just a, our, your teachers and doctors are very, very quick to diagnose. It seems like we want to put everybody in a box these days. And that male behavior, it cannot be an accident. It can't be that every single little boy that comes to my school has the same trait. No, that's just boys. Exactly, exactly. Well, we need to medicate it out, and we seem to be succeeding. Well, yeah, uh, and everything is a trauma. I mean, there are, there are actual real traumas, but everything now in life is considered to be a trauma. Oh, you've been traumatized. Don't do that. You'll traumatize. Maybe we need a degree of trauma in our lives, you know, if, if we're going to learn to to stand up and, and fight and defend ourselves and protect our loved ones. How else would you know how to deal with adversity unless it's injected into you and you see it on a regular basis? You know what? I I have found that one of the most difficult things for me about being a parent, Richard, is that all the things that we want to do for our kids are counterintuitive to their survival. Because we don't want anything bad to happen right, to them. Right. We want them to have everything. We, do, we don't want them to suffer, to have any pain, to have any adversity, nothing. We don't want them. To, we don't even want to see them cry. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. And that's the problem. Because guess what? We release them into the wild at some point at the age of what? You know, 17, 18. And in Canada is 41 or so that, you know, kids live in the basement of the parents playing video games. Isn't that what happens? <laughs> I think of the, the Spartans, the Spartans, the boys in Sparta, ancient Sparta, uh, lived in a military barrack starting at the age of seven. They weren't fed. They had to fight each other for their food. You want a piece of cheese? Fight Here. the boy next to you for that piece of cheese. Uh, basically, they were, they, you know, they were raised to die at the end of a spear. That's why... They had boys. Mm-hmm. That's your role, right? Well, and once a year, they had a festival where the boys were whipped in public until they could no longer stand up. Now, I'm not saying we go back to Sparta, but that shows you, you know, where we were at one point and where we are now. And now a boy's role is to scroll through TikTok and <laughs> get in touch with his feminine side. And his emotions and, and cry in public. But uh, I, you know, most societies throughout history 
have always had a right of passage for a young man. Exactly. You know, some of them were to go into the jungle. Some of them were to stick their hand in a glove that was filled with ants that would bite you and, and make you pass out with pain. Some other ones were to hang off a tree for days on end and, and so on. And for a lot of societies, you had the military service. Like, I mean, yes. in, uh, it was forced conscription. And I do think that we should bring that back. Yes, mandatory um, military for I sure. I think that in Canada, we... We need to have mandatory military conscription in which you send your young men to understand what the actual world, you know, the meaning of the word discipline is, the meaning of the word courage, the meaning of the word loyalty, uh, and so on. I, I can tell you, man, when, when I joined the Canadian military, I was, a, I was an accident waiting to happen. Uh, I... I had all this energy about me, and I didn't know how to channel it. I was doing a lot of stupid things. Um, you know, and I say stupid enough that um, at the very early age of 17, I jumped on a plane and left the country forever. You know, I mm. when I left Chile at the age of 17, and I couldn't speak English, and I landed here in Canada, I was never going back there. And that is how powerful my desire to do something was. And now I, I see my youngest, you know, he is, uh, he's turning 18 in September. So r right around this time is the age that I was when I left Chile. And I see my son and he's just a little boy. I'm thinking, what was I thinking? Like, what was I, 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 I was never that young. <laughs> I was never that innocent. I was never that, unaware of the dangers of the world because I grew up in a, in a different place. It was, it's, it's a fascinating juxtaposition of comparison. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that life can't be hard in Oakville, Ontario. <laughs> but what I can say is not as hard as it was in Santiago, Chile in the 70s during the dictatorship. But... You know, when you take all these things in, into consideration, you understand that we have immunized our children from any struggle. And that is perhaps our greatest, our greatest fault yeah. to this generation of men, because we're not making the life any more difficult. No, I couldn't. I couldn't uh, agree with you more. I getting back to um, schools for a moment. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm concerned about is a lack of of male teachers in, in elementary school. There are none. Maybe, maybe here and there you might have a gym teacher. You might have one, I don't know, one math teacher, but that's it. We need more male teachers in elementary schools, for one thing, uh, and mil middle schools. Um, we also need, we need to bring back, like, really rigorous uh, physical education, in lower grades, it should be mandatory from K right up till twelve. And I'm talking—I'm not talking about, I don't know, volleyball for two weeks and then badminton for two weeks. I'm talking about like really real hardcore, physical education, like boot camp kind of rigorous physical education. I don't disagree with you. Uh, I, they, these kids do nothing. You know, one of the things that stood—you know—stood up for me when I was in Italy for those two weeks is that there was not a—you know—I—I I hate. <laughs> People get offended with this word, but I, I don't know how I feel about it. I didn't see a single fat person in, in Italy. Sorry, there was not a single overweight person over there. I don't know how, because Italy is a land of carbs. 
Yeah, that's all you eat: croissants and bread and pasta and pizza. And pe- oh yeah, man, dude, yeah. <laughs> dude. <laughs> I didn't see a single overweight person unless it was an obvious tourist that was there, and they were having trouble doing all the walks because you need to walk a lot when you're over there. Um, but it's something that we don't do here enough. I mean, physical education is is an elective in high school. You don't have to do phys ed. Correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, you look at um, is it, it's type. Type 2 diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. Chronic illnesses with young people, you know, back in the, in the 40s and 50s, it was around 4, 5, 6%. Now it's like 50% of young kids have chronic illness, chronic disease. Well, we live in a society right now in which more people are dying because they eat too much than because they ate too little. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, talk about the uh, the era of excess. You know, talk about everything that we do now is counterintuitive to the survival of the species. You know, even 50, 60 years ago, like this, this never happened. But um, I, I don't know if there would ever be a government. Actually, we need to take a break, right? You know, folks, we, we're talking about, you know, being a man and what, what we need. We don't claim to have the answers. This is just another conversation here. Uh, but the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. My dad told me Saturday mornings used to be for watching cartoons. And now we have to listen to this guy? My name's Lily, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show! back folks this is what happens when you have an interesting conversation with an interesting man two hours just fly by like what it's already been two hours what's going on here you see you have a funny effect in my life you make it go by quicker i'm that is a that is a compliment uh my mic was uh, was off there yes. yeah well thank you for that uh yeah i'm a uh, i'm a human uh time dilator <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I, I always enjoy having a conversation with you. I think likewise, that, um, likewise. The, uh, the I think that there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of synergies here in the sense that um, curiosity, uh, also uh, mutual reciprocal respect. Uh, you know, we we understand each other. But you know, there is something interesting about you, uh, Richard, in, and I'll I'll share this with you. Um, the um, Masculinity comes in many different flavors in in my world, and I see it. And uh, you know, you you've mentioned to me that you've never been uh, a very physical person. That you you know you never really fight with people, no, or you no. know, or lift heavy weights and that sort of thing. Which is the route that I, I ended up taking. And as I've gotten older, because eventually your physicality goes away, and you need to make yourself formidable in other ways and you know you get into books and whatnot so now you become a force right um 
the um, even though the the physical aspect of it is something that you said that you never really explore, um, I can tell you that based on my exchanges with you, right. you are someone that I would never cross because there w- there is a price to pay if I were to cross you. Like I couldn't get away with something or saying something that is not appropriate or a behavior that is not acceptable. I think that you would hold me to task on the spot. And that that form of dad masculinity mm. is something that exudes from you and you don't even know. That's interesting. Well, thank you for that. No, and I, and I mean it because, you see, even though... You know, the the threat of physical violence isn't there. Mm. The, the threat of intellectual accountability is just as powerful. Really? Yes. And, and, and this is something that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm still developing the, the thought because it's a thought that, that I've been wrestling with for a little while. And even though you're not that much older than I am, um, that was the position of the elder in yeah. the old clans. You see, when, when the men that used to be a young environment, uh, virile, and had the babies and, and raised the family and often went hunting and to war and then acquire all this experience that it, it, it made him, it gave him the value once he became older and retired from raising children and retired from hunting and going to wars and whatnot. Then you had a different value into your society, which was the value of the elder. And the elder was never crossed. Well, whatever it is that I I have that I exude, and thank you for that, that I can see perhaps working with someone with, you know, a tremendous intellect that, and you have that. But if I'm, you know, if I were to be confronted with uh, some, you know, huge muscular individual that was intent on perpetrating violence mm-hmm. he's not going to res- he's not going to respect that uh, I or think, is he i think that you would be surprised the power of a conversation before violence actually takes place mm. you see a lot of people think that the fight is one when the conflict starts right or you know or the outcome of right. the conflict and uh it, it that's not the case i think that a fight can be very easily won before it even begins. You see, this is one of the things that, I've, that, we, that we teach in our academies. We don't teach your kid how to fight. That's not what we do here. We teach them how to end the fight. Mm-hmm. And the best fight, the best time to end the fight is before it begins. You see, when, when, when you get to the actual physical confrontation with someone, is the failure of all of your training. Because you have failed to notice all the other signs and all your situational awareness that would have told you minutes ago that you were in a tough position. Interesting. Interesting. You see, and I believe that you have the intellectual and social awareness for you to understand that you are in a bad position and perhaps it's time to eject. Yeah, uh, that I'm capable of. Precisely. (laughs) Precisely. And that in itself. That's why I wear glasses. For fighting. <laughs> well, didn't that used to be the rule? You don't punch the kid with glasses? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's There's just, no prescription in these lenses. It's for fighting. It's just, it just, it just for looks. <laughs> you know, uh, Richard, I, I really thank you for taking the time this morning. I know that uh, you have better things to do on Saturday mornings that come in, uh, you know, and just 
talk openly about all sorts of different things, but uh, you're always welcome here. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel welcome. Yeah, you're always welcome here. And I, I, I have to repeat this. And every time I talk to you, I tell you the same thing. I always feel... Uh, nervous when I do my uh, my bid with you for five minutes on Fridays. I always do, and and because I I thrive on long form conversation. When I when I go into a five minute bit with you, it's like ah, what can I say? Because it's a different sport, and you acquit yourself brilliantly. Not to worry, not to worry. I feel uh, while we're doing this mutual admiration uh, society or club, um, you know, I feel ill equipped to talk about. You know, when we get into a discussion about self-defense and physical training, I mean, mm -hmm. that's not that's not my world. I wish I re I regret. I mean, there was a time in my life when I was in pretty good shape. I went, yeah. you know, I went to the gym every day, seven days a week. I walked eight miles a day. Um, I got to get back to that, even at my advanced age. You're not that advanced, <laughs> and uh, you you know we we have a student at the school. I think he's 65. He just started about six months ago. Oh well, that gives me hope because I'm knocking on that door, dude. He's he's got something that a lot of young people don't have: patience. There you go. There is something to be said about patience. That is Richard Sirret, everybody, and you listen to him every day here on the Mighty Saga Sixty. What time? Four to six p.m. And where else can people find you? Uh, well, I have uh, been known to occasionally guest host on Coast to Coast AM, which is uh, billed as the uh, most listened to late night radio program in the world. Um, go to coasttocoastam.com and find. You may not find a Canadian affiliate, but mm -hmm. uh, you can go and find their affiliates and listen on. Um, Everywhere in simple the US. radio, yeah. and then I have a, a podcast, and you can go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and you can subscribe, and that's just a whole other world of woo. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, folks. The, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. The phone lines are open two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred is the phone number. We're going to take a short break, have a sip of water, and we'll be right back. What's up, guys? This is Vito Belfer, and you are listening to one of the toughest guys on air, Greg Carrasco Show, man. Congratulations on your show. I wish you all the best. Toronto, stay safe out there. God bless you, man. This is Vito Belfer, the phenom, ready to strike. Let's go. It is time for Greg Carrasco. Show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this right go? Whoa, yeah. Celebrity guest from the East Coast to the West. Who knows who he has next? At Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn. He's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a Dowstock. Movie talk on a boardwalk. Shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. The show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Greg Carrasco.
could have been here tonight or maybe this morning. Man, those two hours flew, Jake. Oh, yeah. They always do with Richard. Yeah, Richard. Every single time. I love that guy. You guys make my life easy. Yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, you know, it's simply because there is never really an absence of topics or conversation. We can go deep down a rabbit hole. And, uh, you know, we, we, we haven't known each other that long. But uh, every time we have met outside of, uh, you know, work in the studio, it's always been a phenomenal conversation. Uh, but I want to take a, a minute or two to uh, welcome our new Chase producer Ryan, thank you for coming on the show, dude. Hello, how are you? How old are you? Man, like fifteen? No, I love you. I'm just getting old. <laughs> how old are you? I'm twenty. Twenty. What made you go down this path of radio, Chase producer, man? This is uh, interesting. Um, I never really, I never really like uh, planned to do this. Like, I applied through like this uh, internship program at this club at my school. So, you know, come a little bit closer to the, uh, okay, yeah, there you go. And, uh, and what happened? Did you got a call and that's it? Yeah. Pra- yeah. Praveen called me like immediately. I applied for the social media coordinator position. Yeah. It was like an internship. Then Praveen just called me, emailed me. And then yeah, ever since then I've, I've done the social media coordinator for, through the winter. Yeah. Then I was looking for a summer job, and I asked Praveen um, if, if there's any positions, and... They said yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, where do you study? Uh, Humber? No, I study at Laurier. At uh, Laurier. Yeah. Interesting. You know, this is what I can tell you, kid, uh, and I, I say kid in the, mo- kid in the most loving possible <laughs> way that I can say it. Um, one of the most difficult things to do is to get somebody to give you a chance. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, a chance is like a, you know, in the Bible, they call it a talent. You know, it's a gift. Mm-hmm. And whatever you do with it now is entirely up to you. Yeah. You know, you are the only one that determines how far you can take this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, your your credentials are already strong because Jacob couldn't stop talking about you this morning. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Rockstar. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to working with you and, and see where we can take this. So mm-hmm. for, for those of you that are just tuning in, folks, a chase producer is someone that uh, um, when when I'm not on air, goes out looking for guests for the show. And uh, we are going to give you some very clear, you know, marching instructions and then let's see what we can take it. Yeah, uh, sure. We're going to try to blow up the show in ways that you can couldn't <laughs> possibly imagine. So <laughs> welcome to the show. I'm happy that you're here and uh, I'm glad that we can have this conversation. Now, we had another caller there that uh, they, they never put their name in there. Eh? No, and they uh, unfortunately hung up. Oh, so that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, at ten thirty, we have someone that I have been listening to for years, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited to have him on air. His name is Daniel Bolelli. Uh, he is a he's a podcaster. He is an author. He is a history teacher, uh, and he has got one of the most fascinating. If you if you like history in any way, shape, or form, you you gotta listen to his podcast. This, this podcast is history on fire, and. Uh, I am very giddy with talking to this guy. And Jacob mentioned that this morning that he hasn't seen me excited about uh, a guest in a very, very long time. And uh, I actually truly am. I'm looking forward to, to, to speaking to him. The only thing I regret is that we only have half an hour. I wish that we would have booked him for a little longer. Um, but uh, hopefully this is a, is a stimulating enough conversation for uh, Mr. Bolelli and that, uh, that would give him the, the desire to come back. I know? like the story of how you, how you came across him, that you were just like, oh, this podcast looks interesting, tap, and then you got hooked immediately. It was, uh, it was love at first narration. Uh, and <laughs> I, will, I will discuss that when, when, when he is on air because uh, I think it's important uh, that people know the impact that they have on other people's lives. And, and 
we don't even know. Uh, and that's the reason why when, whenever we stand or, you know, sit rather here in front of the microphone, uh, we, that we take into consideration the tremendous responsibility that is, you know, is bestowed upon us for us to uh, send out into the universe a compelling and true message that, that somebody might take and say, you know, maybe I'll do this. You know, if we, if we can change one life, if we can give one advice to somebody or generate a thought or instigate a thought, if you will, the job is done. Like one thing. That's it. One thing. Because over the years, I've come to the realization that the only thing that you need to improve is not the world. It's not, it's not your, <laughs> your job. It's not your career. It's, not, it's just you. It's just you against you. Are you better than yesterday? That's it. In the slightest little way. You know, and as you get older, maybe not physically, but are you, do you know more than yesterday? Have you read something? Have you learned something? Have you done something that will make you say, you know, I'm proud of myself today? Something little. And little by little, the constant and never-ending quest for self-improvement is going to create a formidable person, regardless of the age that you happen to be in. For a long time, I kept saying that I'm old, I'm old, I'm old, 51 years old. And somebody said to me once, you know what, Greg, don't put up into the world, man. Your body's going to start listening to you. And you don't want your body to listen to that because your body believes what your mouth says and there's nothing to stop it. But the last hour, Richard and I were talking about you know, being a man and what we can do to improve things. And uh, a little while ago, um, this young man joined uh, my, my jiu-jitsu academy and uh, he understood that I was a businessman. And he said, you know what, Greg, I, I, need, I need some mentorship. I need to be mentored in business. Uh, he is uh, he's a dentist. So I think he's in, in his last year of dentistry. And... Um, so he says, do you mind if I come and just hang out with you? And I thought, sure. I mean, <laughs> you want to learn from me? I, I'll, I'll do it. So after we spent several days together, and by the way, I, Ryan, I can hear all of this as you just did. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So no, just, don't, just leave it. Don't touch it. Okay, yeah. um, so after spending days with him, uh, he had to go back to university because he did it this one in the summer. And... Um, he sent me a text, and the text was titled, Notes from the G-Wagon. That's what he called it, right? So I, I talked to him. I said, what's this? He says, Greg, these are notes that I've taken of talking to you through all, all this time. And uh, I found it. Huh? No, no. You said weird, right? <laughs> Why? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I like thought it was Brilliant. Really? Yeah. Why? Because if you're going to spend something, some time to learn something from someone, mm -hmm. you can't trust your memory. Your memory mm -hmm. is your least trustworthy organ, if you will. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he was taking notes. So what I'm going to share with you over the next little while um, is the contents of this text. I'm not going to say his name because I don't know if he wants me to. Yes. Why don't we go to a commercial break first, and then we'll get to that after the break. Why don't we do that? Yeah. So it's brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, folks. 
everything that I talk to you about here on the radio show is also available when you come and see me. Um, make sure that before you make any carbine decisions, you drop by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, and we will take care of you because I hold my staff to a different standard. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. I want to be a vacuum cleaner Breathing in the dust I want to be a Ford Cartina my name is Sean Avery. I love getting under people's skin, but not as much as this guy. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. When I cross the street, it's the cars that have to look both ways. <laughs> I'm Chuck Norris, and you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. <laughs> And we're back. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. You're one of those lucky ones. Because I want nothing from you. So everything you hear from me is just a gift. And you're still alive. You're still alive. That's right. Don't forget. So before the break, I was uh, talking about this, the notes from the G-Wagon. And uh, I remember this. Uh, we were driving somewhere. I can't remember where. But, uh, you know, he said during the conversation, you know, if you have to give me some, some pointers on life, you know, what would you tell me to do? You know, if you were my dad, what would you tell me? And I said, all right, I'll give you a few pointers. You ready for this? Because you can use it too, Ryan, you know. Mm-hmm. Ready for this, Jacob? I can't hear you. Mm-hmm. There you go. Number one, look good. <laughs> Seriously. Done. Yeah, Seriously. No, yes, you need yes. to dress up, man. People will judge you immediately. They see you dress. They know, they know exactly what they're dealing with. Look good. Number two, don't F up. You, whenever you F up, you trace it back. You always had a choice. You always had a choice in the matter. And the moment that you realize that you always have a choice in the matter, you're going to start making better choices. So don't intentionally F up. Well, yeah, but that's pretty vague. No, No, it's not. Don't. How do you? But sometimes it's something's not in your control, right? Everything is in your control. You see, the moment that you assume the position in which things are not in your control is the moment that you become a victim of your own reality. Like I'm in full, I'm driving my bus, man. If my bus crashes, it's my fault. Everything is my fault. Even the way that people treat me is my fault because I gave them that image that allows them to think that they can treat that, that they can treat me that way. They don't pay you enough. You allow it to happen. You know, somebody cut me off. Well, you put yourself in that position. You got a speeding ticket. You were speeding. You see, if you hold yourself accountable to everything then you can actually have a material impact in your own life. So when I say don't F up, at least don't do it intentionally when you know that there is a better choice. Number three, get good. Pick something, at least one thing, and get really good at it. Ryan liked that one. Because (laughs) eventually, eventually, eventually somebody will pay you to get it done. 
You see, when you specialize on something, I'm not saying that you should become a, a specialist on anything. You know, I think that the world should have more generalists. You know, you should learn more things and lo- limit your realm of experiences. But if you pick one thing to get really good at, guess what? People will pay you money for it. And the better you get at it, the more money they will give you to do it. That's so that's where your life becomes better. Now you have a career. That's the secret of doing it. Now, the next one is something that I discussed with Richard earlier. No is a full sentence. No. Do you want to do this? No. Do you want to buy this? No. Are you okay with? No. There is no explanation needed. And if people understand that sometimes you just mean exactly what you say, they're not going to question you because there's, it's not something that is open to negotiation. My no is not open to negotiation. Number five, always keep your word. If your word doesn't have value, guess what? You don't have value. If you shake somebody's hands, make sure that you're looking at them in the eye and mean it. Because at one point, guys, at one point and for a very, very long time, this is all that men had, their word. But somehow people have forgotten that. Don't let anybody, this is number six, don't let anybody bust your cojones. Don't let them do it. It doesn't, you cannot let anybody, anybody take that sort of space, bandwidth within your system. You know, if it doesn't feel good, if they're bothering you, get out. Get out. Life is not as long as you think it is. Next one. Buy a property. Simple. The earlier you can get into buying a property, the better it is. And I know that if you listen to money gurus, they're going to say, you know, a property is a liability, blah, 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 blah. Don't listen to them. Because at some point, at least in Canada, a home is the number one source of wealth for people. Now, the next one is going to sound funny to you guys. Buy a Rolex. Do it. You should. At one point, you should taste the feel and the weight of a Rolex on your wrist. Well, that's a tall order. A Rolex or like any any type of watch? No. A Rolex? Rolex, A Rolex. Specifically a Rolex. It's a tall order. I have to buy a house. I have to buy a Rolex. Hold on a second. You see, those are those are benchmarks. Yeah. Benchmarks. Now, but the, you, know, you have to listen to the next rule. Don't buy the Rolex on credit. Oh. And mm. only buy it after your house is paid off. Because people do it backwards. They buy the Rolex before they buy the house. They buy the luxury car before the house is paid off. What are you doing? What are you doing? You need to get your priorities straight. Number 10. Listen to your dad. He knows more stuff, and they have forgotten more stuff that you would ever know. Listen to them. Your fathers are the only creature on the planet who wants you to do better than them. They are the only ones. Eleven, learn to fight. You got to do this. You need to know what it feels like to get punched in the face. Because when the time comes, you will know what you're made of. And by then, it would be too late. Number 12, stay away from sugar. Guys, sugar will kill you in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine. If you don't believe me how addicted you are, try giving up sugar and see what happens. Trust me on that one. Hold on. Are we talking added sugar or are we talking all sugar? Like fruit? Sugar, all period. Sugar? No fruit. There are, look, look, man, 
we can get into this argument. Eating fruits every day was never done by the primitive man. Because fruit came only once a year. And only while they were blooming. Only while they were, um, what do you call that? Uh, what's the word for this? You know, my ESL sometimes comes into... Uh, like the season? Uh, riping. You know, oh, yeah, 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 you yeah, know yeah. that was only once a year. But today, society and the, uh, and the food chain has made it possible for you to eat fruits every single day forever. That's not normal. That is too much sugar. If you don't believe me how addicted you are, try to stay away from it and see what happens. The next one is a little one. Uh, the people are going to make fun of me forever, but uh, it's very, very important that I say that to you because if you were my kids, this is exactly what I would be telling you. Don't get married without a prenup. <laughs> do not do it, guys. Mm. Boys, listen to me. Do not get married without a prenup. And I can tell you why. Because if you stay married, it doesn't mean anything, does it? That's if you true. stay married, a prenup is useless. It is 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 invalid. If you're planning to stay married, correct? Mm -hmm. Are you planning to stay married? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, because if because if you're not, then the prenup becomes a problem, doesn't it? Now, don't have kids for at least two years after you get married. It's a mistake. Learn to know your partner. Enjoy each other. Do that. Trust me on that one. Number 15, you're the man of the house. Act like it. <laughs> Protect it. Provide for it. Take care of it. Protect your wife, your girlfriend. Make her feel safe. Make her feel that nothing can happen to them. Because that's your job. Number 16, when you talk to another man, always look at that man in the eye. I can elaborate on all of this, but we need to take a very short break in a couple of seconds. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Give me a couple of more minutes. 17. Have a strong handshake. Limp hands. It's a limp man. Not good. 18. Don't be afraid to say I don't know. It's a sign of strength, believe it or not, so long as you find the answers. This one is something that a lot of people don't agree with me. But this is based on 50 some years of experience. Try to, try to at least, don't cry in front of your wife. Don't do it. Suffer alone. Seriously. Deal with it. Deal with your pain like a fish. You know how fish, fish suffer? Mm -mm. In silence. Believe me. And when you reemerge, you will be a different person. You disagree with that one, don't you? Well, yeah, I just I just wanted, like, how can you, you're saying you got to know your partner closely. Like, I don't know. I feel like if you're hiding something from them, I'm one who believes you shouldn't. If you're, you know, going into life, you're marrying someone, you're going yeah. into life together, you can't hide. Why would you want to hide anything? You're part? not hiding. But you you're are. Hiding. If you're if you're masking when, your feelings in front of them. You're not masking your feelings. It's just that there are some things that should remain personal. This has got nothing to do with secrecy. It's got to do with privacy. You see, in the book, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, he says something very insightful to me. He says, you know, in order for a marriage to work, you need to think of the marriage as the roof of a house and the partners are the pillars. You can't be too close because the roof will teeter-totter and fall. You can't be too far apart because the roof will sag. There has got to be a healthy distance between the partners. And I say healthy because sometimes you're so far apart, you're not even in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Next one. If your girl is going to leave you, help her. Buy her the tickets, pack her bag, move on. Suffer in silence. Be stronger. Next time you'll understand what I'm talking about. And it will happen. Believe me, there's not a single man that I know who hasn't been left by a girl. And that will tell you what you're made of. <laughs> Number 21, when she's breaking up with you, just say, okay, and that's it. Walk away. Just walk away. You need to hold that at least for yourself. There are so many things that I can talk to you about right now. And, there's, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to have a very, very special guest on the other side of the break, folks. Danielle Bolelli, uh, the, uh, you know, he is a host of History on Fire. And uh, I'm super excited to have him on air with me right now. And hopefully he wasn't listening to my nonsense for the last two and a half hours. But the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Randy Couture, and if I'm not beating people up, I'm listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Give it a listen. Take care. Darcy Tucker here, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice, it's too late to escape. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. If you just tuned in, folks, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. We are Canada's largest radio show on weekends. I know, isn't it? Because that's when we are on. I, I wonder what would happen if we were on air during the week. I wonder if we become Canada's largest radio show, period. It's kind of crazy to say, right? You know, yeah. I, uh, you know especially with uh, when you do um, a radio show on a on a second language, that's not bad. Come on. Not it's bad not bad. All, you no. you got to give it some credit. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I am super excited this morning, and the reason why I am, and um, I'm going to try to just keep my preamble here, my introduction short. Um, this was a few years back. Uh, I, I have always been, um, you know, a history uh, aficionado. In fact, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was only two things that I wanted to do, either to be a lawyer or maybe a history teacher. But I never found myself interesting enough to, uh, you know, to be able to tell the stories. And... Um, some of the most interesting teachers that I ever had, you know, were my history teachers that would be able to put the theater of the mind and explain something to you in a way that actually was fun, uh, educational, and that made sense. So a few years back, I was looking for something to listen to. Uh, you know, this was back in 2016. And... Uh, I heard people talking about this guy that uh, had a bit of an accent and uh, he had an, an amazing way to tell stories. So, uh, you know, I came across this podcast. The podcast was called History on Fire. And the first episode that I saw there was uh, an episode about this really the most famous but obscure or the most famously unknown painter. Uh, Caravaggio was his name. So I think, why? who is Caravaggio and why would I care? So, but, uh, you know, people are talking about it, so I push click. 
And I, I can tell you, folks, that it was love at first narration. Um, you know, from from the moment that he started to talk, I, I was captivated by the ability that this man had to explain life of a, of a person that uh, in, in a way that was not only funny because he's crazy entertaining, uh, insightful, entertaining, educational, and I could carry on and on and on. And then it just became a thing. Uh, then I was just he, he made me fall in love with Theodore Roosevelt after I listened to that podcast. And uh, and that just went on for a very long time. And, you know, but I do have to apologize, though, because for some reason, I never really took the time to pick up his book. And I did. Uh, you know, while I was preparing for the show, uh, you know, Mr. Bolelli, yesterday, I, I, I bought the book, The Warrior's Path, and I am immediately addicted because the same style. The only thing I wish that, you know, it was done with your voice and your accent. But uh, welcome to the Carrasco Show. Daniela Bolelli here. Thank you so much for joining the Carrasco Show this morning. How are you? Thank you so much for having me, and thanks so much for the very kind words. I really appreciate it. And yes, you are you are correct about the tiny bit of an accent that I may have. I've been living in the United States for over 30 years now, but somehow my heavy Italian accent never leaves me. Whereabouts in Italy are you from? Milan. I grew up in Milan. I spent there the first 18 years of my life. Yeah. Then I moved uh, right after right after high school. I moved to the United States. Well, I I realized as I was researching a little bit more about you uh, because I never thought that this was even a possibility of having you on the show. Then the amount of layers that there is to what to your work. Uh, the uh, this morning as I was you know driving to the show, I was listening to a chapter in your The Warrior's Path, in which you say, "Would you said something that I will use from." forever on because I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a martial artist myself. I started to do, you know, Shotokan back in the 80s like everyone else did. Uh, but now I own a couple of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu academies here in Southern Ontario. And uh, one of the things that you said was is that we, a martial artist gets inoculated against violence by injecting a little bit of violence every single time they step into the dojo. I thought, what a deliciously brilliant way to explain violence. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did that come from? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's uh, hopefully most of us live in a place where the prospect of violence is not that high. So the reality is that for most people, it's extremely shocking. You know, when something goes down, people who are untrained, it's not even that they don't know what to do physically. I mean, that's, of course, part of the gig. But the main problem is that they, there's a psychological freak out that happens where you are in a state of shock when like some intense violence breaks out because you, are, you have nothing like that ever happening to you. So you are completely unused to it. If, on the other hand, you train, even in a more pleasant, mellow context where it's not real violence, you don't have somebody who's trying to kill you, but the body memory kicks in and it becomes so much easier not to go into shock mm -hmm. uh, when violence breaks. I I was I was fascinated by how the the understanding because um I, I know that you do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu now. How long have you been doing Jiu Jitsu? About twenty years. Wow, you see that uh, that right there is a is a very dangerous person. 
<laughs> for those of you, for those of you folks that don't know, a twenty-year uh, tenure on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu it shows how unbelievably stubborn you are. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's what he does. Yeah, but the nature of the beast is that you get injuries, you get older, you get all that. But uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I think one thing that we also forget about sometimes in our world because we think about it for purely as a physical activity. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, it's, um, it also gives them a sense of community because there aren't that many things that people are involved with uh, week after week with the same people other than their work or their family. Maybe people go to church or something, but this is sort of the equivalent in the sense that this is the... This is something where every single week you go in and you see the same people. Mm-hmm. And in the kind of world that we live in, where we're becoming more and more individualized, where everybody's just glued to the internet to go home, like there's less socialization as time goes on, because that's sort of the direction where our society is moving. Having an activity that brings people together is really huge. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, uh, uh, Mr. Bulelli, is that uh, when when I go to my jiu-jitsu club, is, you know, at the same time, it's one of the most dangerous places you could ever go to, but it's also one of the safest places you can be in. And the only way I can explain it is that a lion's den is only dangerous when you're not a lion. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, some, some of my best friends and my best friendships have been developed at with people that are actively trying to kill me <laughs> on the mats. And this happens every single day. I, I wonder if it's the same for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you do develop a certain level of respect. You choke each other out on a regular basis. You learn each other's strengths, toughness, weaknesses, everything. And, it, you know, you really get to know somebody on a different level than when uh, they're purely verbal one. Don't get me wrong. The verbal level is great, but this adds uh, a different layer to it all. The, uh, the the aspect of martial arts is certainly something very fascinating about what you do. And I didn't understand the depth that you actually, uh, you know, dove into it in your book. And I will I will have a better understanding when I'm done, but I'm not going to put it down until I finish it. But what first got me interested in, in your work uh, was your ability to interpret historical events in the way to portray historical figures in a way that made it compelling to a layman's. And the question that I had for you is that, you know, what initially sparked your interest in history? And after so many years, what keeps you passionate about it today? I think as a kid, I recall, uh, you know, I grew up, I was born in 1974. So as a kid in Italy, the sources of entertainment were considerably less. There was, of course, no internet. There were like two TV channels. There was one thing I loved to do since I was very little was read. Mm-hmm. I was an only child who spent a lot of time alone, so I read a lot. And even as a kid, they would give me books that were actually really well done. They were like historical books for kids where there's writing, but there's images. And I would spend time basically visualizing what, what life would be like for these guys. I would see, I don't know, a book about ancient Egypt, and I... I'm sort of running a movie in my head, picturing, uh, reading the stuff I'm learning, seeing some images, and uh, and entertaining myself that way. So to me, it started out being a source of entertainment. Uh, it wasn't like, I want to learn for learning's sake. It was just, I'm having fun, and I'm happening to, and I happen to learn stuff at the same time. 
I think to me, the thing you said at the beginning uh, regarding uh, my approach is that I don't see history purely as a discipline. I see history as that just human life, that's the entirety of the human experience. You can find it in history. Hmm. So I enjoy bringing things to life. Like to me, history is not a separate dimension or it's like purely an academic discipline. To me, history is about anybody can relate to history because it's human life. If uh, whatever your interests are, you're going to find those interests, how they develop historically, how people have approached them. How... So I enjoy bringing history to a level that's relatable. Bringing history, like I enjoy people who don't care at all about history and I get to talk to them about it mm-hmm. because I get to, I enjoy trying to draw them in by relating to the stuff they relate to, to relating to their interests. And then showing them how people in the past had the same, uh, uh, they didn't necessarily have the exact same interests, but they had the same drives. They had the same, you know, our psychological makeup hasn't really changed all that much over thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, my follow up question to this, uh, Daniela, is that how do you select the. The the next character, the the next person, the next event, uh, when you are selecting the the podcast and the people that you study in the process, because I mean the 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 diverse aspect of of the people that you study is so is so. Uh, vast is so eclectic. Uh, for example, I mean, w- what captivated me was that how could I ever be interested in Caravaggio? You know, he was just a very, very interesting character. So I figured, you know, if you can spark my interest in Caravaggio, I wonder what you're going to do about Theodore Roosevelt. So that was my next uh, <laughs> podcast. And I, out of nowhere, I developed this love affair with you know Theodore Roosevelt and, and his life and and how similar in many ways he was to uh, Ernest Hemingway but uh, you know little tiny bits of information do you see the correlation between those two by you know by the way yeah absolutely and it's funny too that you mentioned Caravaggio because I remember I was speaking with Dan Carlin who is one of the greatest podcast ever I just love that guy and he was asking me exactly, kind of going where you were going. Like Caravaggio, I mean, I'm sure he was a great painter. You know, Dan had seen his paintings. He's like, yeah, amazing, but okay, where's the story? You know, okay, or why is that interesting? And I told him, I was like, okay, let's see, let's give him my elevator pitch in a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. Don't just think uh, Italian artists who can paint, because yes, I agree with you that there's no story there. Mm-hmm. Think. Uh, Tupac and Tupac being a painter in the 1600s in Italy. <laughs> and that was like, okay, okay, now you got my interest. <laughs> you know, and Caravaggio was a wild one. You know, Caravaggio was, uh, he killed a man in a duel. He escaped from prison. He was constantly in trouble with the authorities. And at the same time, he was the br- most brilliant artist of the late Renaissance. He's this weird mix of uh, there's so much to the guy's life, and it's fascinating. And I think that's what I'm looking for usually in uh, either individuals or stories that I choose to cover. Like, I don't give myself any limit as far as time period. You know, I, I can pick stories from 5,000 years ago or from 50 years ago. I don't stick to one geographical space, any continent is fair game. 
what interests me, the one common thread is there has to be an epic quality to it. You know, there has to be some powerful story. There Something badass. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there have to be, of course, enough sources, because sometimes the story is brilliant, but there's so little written about it that I'm like, okay, I can tell that story in five minutes. I can do an episode on it. So that, yeah, I need to have enough material to go on. There have to be, um, the story has to be powerful and larger than life. And ideally, there it's also character-driven. But sometimes, I mean, I've done stories that are fun stories without a clear lead character yeah and it's possible to do it but it's so much easier for people to relate to when you have some powerful characters well it's you know talking about powerful characters uh when when i uh when i went down the path of joan of arc uh which was a three-part series uh i think that uh very little is understood from a historical standpoint about who joan of arc was and her influence at the time i, I mean th that must drive a lot of the fascination that you have with history do you find that whenever you study a character's a character and their life, you become a different person afterwards. Yeah, I mean, because you spend a lot of time with that character. Typically, the amount of preparation I do for any one episode or series is brutal. You know, I don't read one book. I read just about everything I can get my hands on on a certain person or event. So by the time you get to record, I've been through, I've read the same story I don't know, 15 times already. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, you really get to know those characters in and out, up and down. But also it's fun to, I like to be completely honest about it. There are plenty of cases where I, sometimes I don't know the solution to the mystery. Like I read, I read, I read. And you, and you like can't find it. Kind of no, you, there's no logical reason why she became who she was. You know, she was a, Teenage girl, probably literate in uh, France so long ago. There's no way in the world that she should have been at the head of an army or been able to pull off the things she did. There's, if you're looking for a logical explanation, there really isn't, you know? And people come up with all these theories for why her visions were correct, and it turns out she was uh, surprisingly accurate. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that none of those explanations fully satisfy me. Like, I don't find them all that convincing. And I find that interesting also how people often are trying to solve history, like solve the mystery, which is great if the evidence backs up the conclusion. But in many cases, there's a there desire isn't. to go past what... Yeah, and it's like, sorry, man, the evidence doesn't tell us, you know. So we are tickled by the mystery. But we don't really get to solve it, per se. Uh, you know, I, I, I can see how, especially when you're researching characters that have, you know, that took place three, four, five, you know, sometimes even thousands of years ago. And uh, it's, it's very difficult to follow that trail and arrive to some credible conclusions. And I can understand that. Now, uh, I guess this is a question that I need to ask you. Of, of all of the uh, the characters that you have, um, that you have researched and, and talked about on your on your on your podcast, which one stands stands out in the sense that it was the most difficult one to research and why or that it was that was a challenge for you and and what drove that challenge so there's one episode that i did called the pirate queen 
that's about this lady who at the beginning of the 1800s in China, uh-huh. she became the head of the biggest pirate confederacy in the world. You know, it's estimated that during the heyday of pirates in the Caribbean, they had maybe 4,000, 5,000 pirates. She, in China, under her direct command, she had 60,000 people. So oh, wow. something on a scale completely unprecedented. It's uh, She, unlike pretty much any other pirate story, she gets to retire and live happily ever after <laughs> in the sense that the Chinese government is so desperate, they don't know what to do with them, that they... They give her a part. They say, look, what do we need to do to make you stop? And she says, I keep all my money and you pardon all my men. And they do it. So oh, it's wow. Like it's an insanely powerful story. And there's so little written about her. You know, there's enough to know that it happened, that it's a real thing. There's enough to get a context regarding piracy in that period in China. But there's not a whole lot about her specifically, which is crazy considering how powerful of a character she was. But so, you know, originally I thought I'm doing a biographical episode about her. Uh And I quickly realized there's not enough to tell a long story. So I had to extend it more to the context, to piracy in China during that time, what drove it, why it became such a big deal, what, you know, and I built a whole story around it. And then I, told whatever we know about her, which is some, but it's not a whole lot. You know, that's fascinating. And just like that, I I do feel that there are so many events throughout history that uh, get forgotten. Uh, And I can speak to this in a very, very, uh, you know, rudimentary way as to what I discovered when I went to uh, uh, Ercolano, you know, that uh, city, you know, beside Pompeii. Uh, I had never heard of it. Uh, I had never heard of it and how intact the actual place was. And it was in much better condition than Pompeii was. And is it, it was forgotten for hundreds and hundreds of years. And apparently the excavation on this place only started in the 1700s. So I can understand how, uh, you know, something can be forgotten throughout history and there is not a lot of material available. Now, you know, throughout all this, uh, you know, all these people that you've researched, I, I just I finished listening to your version of Bruce Lee's story just a little while ago, which I found it. Fascinating. Uh, I don't think many people understand the influence, the philosophical influence that Bruce Lee had into today's martial arts. Um, Is there a character that stands out for you that captivated your attention more than most? Uh, Or can you comment on that? Uh, it's hard to pick because it's after a while they all become your babies. Yeah, I can understand that. The narrative and massaging it and getting into it, but but you know there are no, there are several for sure. Um, the, I did a series about Crazy Horse that I deeply, deeply loved. Yeah, yeah. the whole story of the Lakota was a powerful one. Mm-hmm. The Bruce Lee one you mentioned, I had a great time doing it and diving in. Uh, Caravaggio, Theodore Roosevelt. You know, I, I I usually start with like, yeah, those two or three, and before you know it, I'm like missing my whole backup. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean that's what keeps me going. I enjoy diving and exploring these stories. 
I enjoy every time I am working on an episode, I get to tell the stories to my daughter. I get to tell some of the stories to my friends. And I see everybody's eyes getting wider because they're like, wow, that really happened. Wow. This is, and, and it's so fun. And I, I have a blast doing it. I, I can, I can imagine. And, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, as I've, I've always been a, a junkie of stories. I, I like stories, mm-hmm. but I like stories of real people. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's great to read fictional characters, but, you know, when you read, for example, the Book of Five Rings with Musashi and you understand, it's like, wow, this guy was an actual real bonafide badass. And then you, you have yeah. something that addresses that and, and you add the human touch to the actual story is what makes it more compelling for me. And that's what actually got me captured. Activated. Um, what are you working on right now, and how long does it usually take you to research a specific character? Well, one episode on average. So let's say a podcast is typically hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Uh, one episode behind that hour and a half or two hours, there's typically anywhere between 100 to 200 hours of research. So it's pretty much a full-time job. Because, um, and, and you know, you multiply, if I'm doing a two-part series, that's usually twice as much, or three-part series, three times as much. So I, I definitely don't believe in winging it when it comes to history. I feel that I really need to know the topic as good as humanly possible. So, yeah, I tend to do deep dive research-wise. That's why the process, it's funny, like I really enjoy the beginning of the research when you're excited about discovering new things. Yeah. I enjoy the end when I get to put the narrative together. The middle part when you are on the eighth book on the same subject <laughs> start getting a little like yeah yeah <laughs> there are moments where like will I ever get to the end of this uh, this story? This yeah. doesn't even make sense anymore. It's uh, I heard it too many times. And the pressure That's of coming up with a compelling climax, right? Because, uh, you know, the, uh, there's yeah. got to be a, a sweet conclusion to whoever you're researching. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, usually it works out. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. So it just, you know, the process gets intense occasionally. The thing that keeps me doing it too is that sometimes even topics that I think I know really well, and so I'm reading the 10th book on it, and I'm like, okay, I've, re- I've read it so many times. I already know it. Let me skim through. And then I'll run into one little detail that I go back and I realize, no, this is a real thing. It really happened. And maybe it wasn't brought up in other books. And it had a whole other layer to it all where I'm like, wow, this adds. It doesn't change the story, but it adds uh, an extra thing that makes the story that much more interesting. That's, uh, you know, it's fascinating. I, I, I do have to tell you that I really love your work and I will continue uh, to to go and visit your podcast because every time I find little nuggets of things that I, you know, never really thought I would be interested in and you somehow, you force me, <laughs> whether I want to be interested in this, you, you force me to be interested. And uh, I started reading your book yesterday and uh, I, mm-hmm. I, was, I was fascinated by the layers and I know that uh, you've done some revisions to it and, you know, uh, one of my one of my very best friends. His name is Derek. And uh, I, I sent him the uh, the picture of the book that I'm reading. And he says, yeah, I'm three quarters of a way through it. And I thought, you are? It's like, oh, wow. So, you know, so you <laughs> are, funny. you know, people listen to your stuff and people are actually receiving your stuff up here. 
So if you ever come up to Canada, please don't hesitate, and uh, we will we can have you here for hours. Uh, do you ever make it up here? Sound great. I would love to. That sounds like fun. Uh, I have a question for you. Actually, two questions before we, uh, you know, we we part ways. Uh, what is your go-to choke? Because I, there is a large member of the jiu-jitsu community here in Southern Ontario that are listening to the show. What is your go-to choke? Uh, probably arm triangle. Didn't start that way. Like for the first probably ten to fifteen years of jiu-jitsu, I was I was like, eh, I kind of get it, kind of don't. These days uh, tend to be my most reliable one. Uh, the katakatami, yeah, I understand that. Uh, the second question: How many times have you tapped out Joe Rogan? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> have you rolled with him yet, or what? Uh, I never rolled with him. You no. know, I, uh, I podcasted with him a bunch of. I think I was on his show nine times. Or yeah, I know. Team, but no, we and we never ended up. Uh, we never trained together. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join the Carrasco show this morning. And uh, where can people find your podcast so everybody knows where to find you and your amazing work? So History on Fire is now, you can find it pretty much on any anywhere you listen to podcasts, you know, your Apple, Spotify, you name it, you know, all the big networks for podcasting, you should be able to find uh, History on Fire. Uh, Mr. Bolelli, I on behalf of the entire, uh, you know, we call it Slacker Nation, you know, people that listen to the Carrasco Show, I thank you so much for joining my show this morning. And you have an open invitation to come and join us any time you need something promoted or if you have a new episode, just let us know. And we let the entire Canadian population know that you're going to be here. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. Folks, that was Amazing. I'm actually super excited that uh, I actually got to talk to Mr. Bolelli. Uh, but uh, just like that, three hours went by. Thank you so much for indulging me yet again on a Saturday morning. And for those of you that are looking to buy a vehicle, you know what to do. There's only one place for you to do it. Um, it's Oakville Nissan. Why, Jacob? There's something happening here. At OakvilleNissan.com. And that was terrible, Jacob. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. been an honor serving with you all. Autobots, roll out!